Y'all heard about that Amplitude Kickstarter, right? Yeah. yeah. I think we should start... Um, yeah, I'd rather talk about Amplitude than Kevin Spacey. That's fine. We can change. But that didn't happen last month. Okay, fair. That this is a wonderful system we've developed. I don't. I don't think it matters. I think we can talk about what we, what we heard. <laughs> I can change it to amplitude. Uh, guaranteed, this news. Guaranteed, the news <laughs> on the besties is always a month old. <laughs> <laughs> Justin McElroy, and I know the best games of the month. My name is Griffin McElroy, and I disagree because I think I know what those are. My name is Chris Plant, and there's only one great game of the month, and it's Dark Souls 2, so mm. sorry, other games. Sorry, everybody else. My name is Russ Frustig, and I know the best game of the week. Welcome to the Besties. This is where we talk about the latest and greatest in sports, news, entertainment, sex, relationships. Wow. Who do you think is going to take the Stanley Cup this year? Uh, of sex, the Stanley Cup <laughs> of doing it. Probably hockey, uh, I think, is going to bring home the gold, silver cup. Silver, it is do you think, silver. Do you pewter? think knuckle puck is still big, or is that sort of like faded? That's the thing. You don't, yeah. do knuckle, you don't do knuckle puck for like six years. So that when you fucking drop it, sure. we, along with the flying V, you go flying V into knuckle puck. They're like, yeah. oh shit, I forgot about knuckle puck. And then like late. distracting ballerina. Is also mm-hmm. really effective. Guys, can I tell you a story about hockey before we get going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is short. Great. It's really short. You, so this is about our coworkers. Mike McWhorter, who normally lives in Los Angeles, is visiting uh, New York this week for like a wedding or something. And he came into the office yesterday and surprised us. And this was a great thing because like he's a beautiful looking man. And everybody was really happy to see him. Except for Summit, who was like busy with his headphones, just glossed. He was checked into his computer. And when Smith finally sees Mike, he turns to him, not even looking at him with, like, surprise that this person is here, this friend of his. He just looks at him and he goes, Mike, did you know there are a new announcers in the new NHL hockey game? <laughs> and then Mike looks at him and he's like, no, I didn't know that. That's, I guess, I guess it's going to be a pretty crappy year for NHL. And Smith goes, no, this is the biggest thing to happen to this game in a long time. He's and then excited. just goes right back to writing his story. He's it's excited about something. He doesn't need to be excited about people. He can be excited about. <laughs> is this know, what it's like people. to like sport games? Is this can what we your talk life more is? About how handsome Mike McCorder is. Oh my can gosh! We get into that first. He's that like our Brett Favre. Yeah, it, he is our Brett Favre. He is. So, sometimes I'll see a banner for a T-shirt sale site, and it'll be a dude model on it. I'll be like, Mike McCorder, what are you doing on my banner? It's not Mike, but it's a man who looks like Mike. Equal handsomeness level. Mm. Close, but close, not quite there. close, but no cigar. This How many week times we're talking he about a haircut. Oh God, sorry. <laughs> this week we're <laughs> talking about our hottest male models and also video games. So let's start with the video games, then we'll circle back around to hot male models. This month, Dark Souls Two is the greatest thing that ever came out happened. It came out last month. And two but months also, ago, actually. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> now, don't be persnickety. Let's uh, let's address so, the fact that like. 
I mean, it was a lock. Since we decided to hold off until Plant got back into the into his home state and we all have more time to play the game. Well, you all have more time to play the game. Well, and jo- it, Justin also refused to play it on uh, right. previous-gen consoles. Which right. was the right choice, it turns out. Oh, my out. God. It totally oh, definitely. Um, I, 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 like, we knew we locked in Dark Souls 2 a long time ago. And then last week, I feel like a week ago today, we scrambled, like, well, shit, like, what else was April? <laughs> I feel like we even goofed about that at the end of the last episode. But then we were going back and forth, like, f- f- fucking Russ Frustick wanted to put Flappy Golf in. Okay, which we're is like, still going to sh- talk about Flappy Golf. We're still going to talk about Flappy Golf, I guess. It's it's a fun game, but it's like, it's a Flappy Bird golf game. And then that's the end of the discussion. Like, it was so hard to find games, so we're probably going to spend a while doing right. Dark Souls 2. So let, just, to, just because I think this informs a lot of the discussion, let's very briefly talk about, uh, let's just each go around and say... Uh, what our previous experience was and like sort of how much we we've invested into Dark Souls 2. Um, right. I did not finish the first game. I got pretty close. Uh, no, you I, got like 60% of the way through. I got 60% of the no, way through. No, to Anne Orlando, that's not even, that's barely. No, I got way. through Anne Orlando. I got oh, to win. That was, you, you wrote a ballad about how Anne Orlando crushed your spirit. Well, and you no, quit. who's the boss of Anne Orlando? The two Is guys. This, okay, it's, no, I did not beat them. Didn't yeah. stop Anne Orlando <laughs> for death for sure. That's where I stopped. Uh, I so that's how far I got and then Dark Souls 2 I have put maybe 30 hours into it and I just f- finished Earth and Peak yes just finished Earth okay. and Peak I don't know what that is Perfect. You'll, you'll get there um, I beat Dark Souls on console and then I dipped back in on PC because I wanted to mess with those mods got that HD frame rate texture mod which is incredible that the, just like a guy can make that <laughs> like the original game on pc was such a broken mess and then just like a dude was like oh let me just fix this whole game for you uh also put that thanks obama mod on there that made it say thanks obama every time you died which is really <laughs> <great>. <laughs> um i loved love the original dark souls there were some elements of the original dark souls that i never really got into like uh, pvp uh covenants were kind of a, a tough thing to get into like after you finish the core player versus environment of that game which is still i mean an investment which i think is evidenced by the fact that there are a lot of people who just never finished it because um, it's super super hard there is like another layer that only crazy people get into like mike mccorder this episode of the best these is sponsored by aura frames all right so You know, there are a number of people in your life that are not necessarily the most technologically savvy. I'm sure immediately names jump to your mind. Those are the sorts of people that you would say, oh, maybe they would want a digital picture room in their house, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to like set it up and get it working and add new pictures and stuff like that. That is where Aura Frames comes in. It's a digital picture frame that allows you to basically upload any photos that you have directly to the frame. You don't need them to do any work. In fact, you could even set it all up before they even open the box. You have the account set up. You just have to connect it to their Wi-Fi. And once that's done, everything happens over the internet. So you can add new photos, you can do whatever you want, and it all works completely smoothly. I set it up for my grandmother, who's 95 years old. I set it up for my mom, who's 70 years old. And they both love their aura frames and they love seeing the pictures and new photos of the family all being added without them having to do anything. So I'd 
highly recommend it. I'm really, really happy with it. And right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BESTIES. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code BESTIES. Terms and conditions apply. Um, it's, uh, so yeah, I, I jumped into Dark Souls 2 and I feel like it made it a lot easier to get into that extra layer. I finished it on PlayStation 3 um, and then I picked it up on PC uh, and then I finished it on PC again. I did beat it twice. And I started working on a third run through the character named Butterboy. And I want him to be a PvP character. I don't want to level him up too much. And I do want to give him the full butterfly armor outfit, um, mm-hmm. which lets you uh, jump from a walking state instead of a running state. I just oh. think there's a lot of strategic depth there. Yeah, that um, sounds so, exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I've played a lot of probably about 100 hours now. <laughs> Chris Plant. Um, so my story starts with Demon Souls, which I have the ultra rare special edition flipbook, mm-hmm. whatever. I played uh, that. I completely forgot about Demon Souls. I also played that. That's yeah. In, in, I didn't. I, I didn't play it. it. It's it's in its plastic wrap, and I've always said that the day I get fired is the day I play through Demon Souls. Um, <laughs> I can make that happen. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and then uh, I I actually tried Dark Souls. Uh, and that went horribly. And then I tried it again on PC, and it went okay. Um, I went back and played some more recently to prepare for Dark Souls 2. And it turns out I never fought the two goblins, and then you ring a bell. This is an important part early on in the game. I just yeah. kind of went past it. Those um, gargoyles? They're not goblins, they're gargoyles. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, oh you know, yeah, like the cartoon show. Those um, two mummies up on the church. <laughs> Listen, they were they were, were bad. Anyway, I didn't beat them, and I, it turns out that really like ruined my flow, of my character, and then I just got destroyed everywhere I went. I didn't understand that this is a game where uh, if you're getting killed in one area, there's probably another area you should go to. And on yeah. top of that, this is what I discovered at the very last minute after beating the gargoyles is there's a lock-on button in this game. Yep. Yeah. Holy shit. How that, did you... I didn't know. So I was always curious why I was struggling so much. Were you just using to get magic? Through, like, um, yeah. That must be well, hard. Well, how did you... Yeah, how did you I, do well, I, So I would very carefully line up my camera, oh my and God. then I would pray. Um, it didn't... It was bad. Uh, and I was like, why? How is this useful? Because it doesn't do any damage. Anyway. You know, there is a t- t- there's like a pro tip at the very beginning of the game that tells you how to lock up. I'm going to shoot you real straight. That that tutorial is one of the worst tutorials I've ever used. The first game tutorial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's pretty terrible. The second it's game is a much better tutorial. Miserable. Anyway. First okay. Dark um, Souls 2 is fantastic, and I am in love with it, and everything's changed. Okay. I played through Dark Souls 1 on Xbox 360 about, I want to say, like, two years after it came out, um, using extensive GameFAQs guides and beat it. Um it was hard, but, but not cheating. super hard. I basically cheated my way through it. It was a blast. I really enjoyed it because I got really frustrated when I first started playing and didn't know where I was supposed to go, and I died on skeletons about 30,000 times. There's actually a video that details this. And then Justin told me, you shoot the fucking dragon in the tail with a bullshit arrow for no reason, and it gives you the best sword ever. No, so then I really I mean, if you're a dirty, filthy casual... Okay, well, then I realized that uh, that's what this sort of game is, is that you really need outside insight to be good at it. And we should should make it clear, even when you have that insight that tells you, like, get the filthy casual Drake sword at the beginning of the game if you don't like, 
you know, the game's complex systems. If you don't want to appreciate all of the work that From Software put into the game, and you just want to be, you know, like a lazy bones jerk. Yeah. Um, even when you have those tips, it's not going to help you beat them bosses. No, them it's bosses, not hard. the Capra Demon is still going to fuck you up proper. Yeah. Let me hard. say though that like the best argument I have for that, uh, I am the same way. I like using a guide like as I play. That makes me. That is the. That is a pleasurable way, and I don't do that with anything. Yeah. But that is a pleasurable way for me to play through Dark Souls, and the only way I can play through it and not like want to pull my hair out here is my argument for why that is basically a necessity okay (laughs) if you are someone who uses magic in dark souls 2 there is an item called the binoculars (laughs) that you get that is the only thing that allows you once you have it you are able to use magic in a first person perspective and target enemies at a distance longer than your lock on distance it is an absolutely essential part of the 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 like being a sorcerer right and the binoculars are hidden (laughs) you have to jump off of a cliff and fall on a ledge and then fall off another cliff onto another ledge to find the binoculars at a point really before the game starts too yeah it's crazy it's crazy if you miss that i don't know what you would do it's insane i played through i played through my first playthrough as a magician um, and when I played it on PlayStation 3, it was before the game came out, there were no guides. Um, so I missed that. I played through it without oh the binoculars. God. And then my second playthrough, I played as a miracle caster uh, who has, you know, similarly like long range attack spells that I used. Uh, and I did find the binoculars because I found out where they were. Uh, and that playthrough, no kidding, I beat in half the time. Yeah. Just because some areas, like there's an area later uh, towards the end of the game. Uh, that is flooded with water and filled with casters that will blast you from a mile away, and there's no way you can lock onto them from that far away. And you're slow, and you're slow in the water. And the only way that I could beat them uh, was to use a bow when I was the caster without binoculars, just because you do get the manual aim. So having binoculars in that area literally saved me probably four or five hours i would say just in that one <laughs> why, area why do you why, does, why do the binoculars need to be a thing like just have a button that goes first person it's crazy but anyway but that's dark souls right that's yeah that's dark souls. And anyway I, I played like um i'd say about seven hours of dark souls 2 so i didn't get super far oh wow um i love Okay, so uh, Griffin, you might be able to to illuminate some of the changes better than I can, but I I would talk about the things that have made this like a lot more fun for for me. Um, the number one thing that I like, and and maybe this is revealing sort of my shabbiness overall as a Dark Souls player, but I really like the fact that after you kill enemies, I think it's like twelve times, they stop respawning. Oh no, see, I don't, I don't exactly care for that. Uh, see, I love that because I know that if I'm gonna, if I've got a, a a route between a bonfire and a boss, it's gonna be really tough. I love that I can farm those souls, get the souls, get a clear path to the boss, and then not have to worry about. Are it. you intentionally dying to like make sure they stop respawning? No, no, you, you don't. You don't them. have to die. You can go kill them, go oh, to the oh, bonfire, respawn them, and I think if you do it like twelve or thirteen and times. And is that what you were doing, Justin? Uh, if I've got <laughs> accidentally, I imagine 
Well, it started accidentally because I died so many fucking times, and then I, when I realized like that I could manipulate it, I uh, because uh, manipulation in Dark Souls Two like. There is nothing off limits unless you're like hacking the code of the game. Like I don't think there's any exploit that I feel bad about using in Dark Souls Two. Whatever it takes to get through. Well, it's using but everything it can against you. Exactly, like, that's it's, the point. It's doing everything it can to kill you. So I figure I I should I should return the favor. And what's funny is they added that just to curb people farming souls. Like that's why they added it was right. because people would just go to like really like good areas to farm souls and just. I mean that's what I did in Dark Souls One. Yeah. So it really was added to prevent people from screwing the system. But I also, which I also like though, because like I think that it, it keeps me from having that compulsion to like, God, if I just keep grinding these guys, yeah. you know, who knows? I might still be in uh, the the Tower of Flame grinding sure. all night. The who the knows? the issue, my problem with it is less, and I think that this is the issue at large for for people who play who know they're going to play a lot of this game, is less about uh, farming souls um, because I hit. So there's this uh, sort of uh, universally agreed upon level cap for PvP, uh, which is soul level 150. And if you go much higher above soul level 150, uh, you're going to have a harder time finding duels to do. You're going to have a hard time, in, harder time invading because that is like um, in the Dark Souls community, the agreed upon like, all right, guys, let's all get to 150 and then fight it out from there. Oh, so it only matches you with people that are around your level. And your soul memory, which is the fucking worst mechanic. I don't know ever. what that even means. <laughs> I'll, I'll, okay, so a brief, a brief treatise, I guess. Whenever yeah, you, I don't understand. I barely understand. It's not TV great. It's, I know that there was one area in the that I went into in the belfry, the first belfry, where like the bell towers, you can be uh, invaded uh, by bell defenders. That's one of the covenants, and then uh, there are two areas that the Rat King Covenant will actually pull you into their world, which is really cool. It's probably my favorite covenant because you can, in your world, use those lock stones to set off traps what, and stuff like that. You're saying so many words right now. <laughs> there's there's a, a covenant that will, in certain areas, pull other players into your world. Instead okay. of you invading them, they Got invade it. you, and you can change your world and activate traps and shit oh, I see. so that they have a really hard time surviving in your world. How do people get into my, like, how does that even work? Like, it's just, that's just exclusive to that covenant. And it's when they're in that area that you are the covenant of. There are two Rat King covenant areas. It's so very complicated. The, but what about the usual PvP that isn't that? like? No, there, there are certain, there are items. The cracked red eye orb lets you invade um, somebody's area. And then if you're in the covenant of blue, or the Sentinels of Blue, if somebody invades someone else, you jump into that world to help fight off the invader. They're, they're, it's it's incredibly How, complicated. You're honestly saying don't use a guide for this chaos that you're describing? No, I mean, this. The, for, <laughs> that was the whole thing. This The system of covenants was supposed to be so much better explained this time around. That was like <laughs> one of the ways they realized they fucked up the first game because like, you really had to get super into the game to even understand the basics of how to invade. A lot of the uh, invasion, both for you know uh, competitive and cooperative play, you had to be human to make that work. So you had to spend humanity, which is a pretty valuable resource. Um, there, it's a it's a lot more lenient about that in Dark Souls Two, but it's still not very well. So explained. how would it work? I mean, so, if I'm in like if I'm in the base area medulla and i use a cracked red eye orb it's probably not i don't think they can i don't think you can do it in medulla i think you can only do it in certain areas or else you could probably just like wreck 
every uh, NPC in the area. So right. soul level and, and soul memory. Soul level, if your soul level is too far away from somebody's, you can't help them out with cooperative. You can't summon them to like help you out with a boss. For instance, like one of you guys probably couldn't summon me just because my soul level is higher than yours. But there's also a mechanic called soul memory, which is a tally of how many souls you've accumulated. Not your soul level, but how many actual souls you've found. And if that's too much higher than somebody's uh, soul memory, then you won't be able to uh, you know, fight them or cooperate with them. The idea being that there were people that would like level up to a really low level just oh. so they could grief people and then spend the rest of their souls on awesome equipment. Sure, that's um, smart. Yeah, well, it's not smart because, like, with those two gates in place, it's really, it's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to uh, do that that kind of multiplayer play, I have found. It's it's really, really tough to, I, I have a really hard time, like, finding, there's a dual arena, but, like, if my soul memory is too high, then I just can't use it. Like, it's, I don't know. Do you think they I, were, like, watching system. this game, like, they were like, oh, no, this is, like, way easier for people to understand. Like, if we put this NPC here and he's like, go forth with the wizard's key and take the dragon's eye, they'll know immediately that co- covenants need blue stones instead of red right. stones. <laughs> like, <laughs> were they convinced no. they really, like, hit it, hit it out of the park in terms of accessibility? Um... No, it's not. It's not accessible at all. Once you do understand it, it works pretty well. Um, I did a covenant called Heirs of the Sun, which uh, you just get a special item every time you help someone kill a boss, and you can exchange those items for powerful spells. It's how you get one of the most powerful. Um, oh, I need uh, to get into that. Who? who miracles. Who? Oh, it's in Earthen Peak. That- There's a broken statue. Already <laughs> a part of the covenant. Can I like switch? Yeah, yeah. You can switch them. You can switch them at will. I don't think it's in Earth and Peak, though. Did I just did Earth and Peak? I think I know this. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's a harvest. Harvest Valley, beam, and you Har- got to bring it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you kill uh, other people's NPCs? Is that what you said before? I don't think you can because I don't think you can be summoned into an area. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent sure. Again, like I have You're only just started scratching that that extra deeper layer that I never got into in in the original Dark Souls. Yeah. Um, the, I'm, I'm trying it on PC, and I think that's just tough because there. If I did it on Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3, it would bring more players. It's been out longer. There'd be more players who are at the level that I'm at, so it would be a little bit easier to find some online play. Okay, so, one thing I I wish that they had changed or tweaked a little bit that I still think is kind of overwhelming is the leveling system, which if you haven't played. Uh, Basically, you start out, depending on your class, you start out with some base stats, but from that point, you can put your stats into anything you want to, and it it gives you complete freedom, which I like in one regard. Like, that's cool that I can evolve things, um, you know, in a a way that suits my play style, but there are also these, like, soft caps. They're break break points, is what they're Break points, like, that throughout leveling that... Once you level over a certain, put a more points than X number into a certain stat, then you stop getting the big bonuses. For right. You know, so, for yeah. instance, for HP and uh, for vigor, I should say, and endurance, which are stats that uh, determine how like how much energy you have to uh, attack before you have to recharge and how much health you have, uh, those have a breakpoint of twenty. So, uh, until as you put points in them up to twenty, you get thirty HP. For instance, for each point that you put into HP. Then once you go over 20, you do like 21, then I think you only get 20 points of HP. So you get 10 less for each point that you invest in that, and you start to get diminishing returns. My numbers may have been off there, but 
that's just sort of an example. So uh-huh. it, it really does, it doesn't make sense to, as soon as you start, put all of your points in a single stat because you're going to end up with a, a weaker character overall because of those diminishing returns. I think I think we could grok it a lot, but I wanted, wanted to take a brief sojourn into into the graphics for a second because that really that's all i care about i mean i know games have like the <laughs> gameplay aspects to it but yeah if it's not pretty like who cares um i can't decide if i think this game looks like really pretty or really dog shit and i feel like it kind of runs the gamut um i i think the thing about dark souls that's that's very different and and weird is that i i think it has the I think it can look beautiful very often. Like the, you see a lot of stuff that's like gorgeous. They do think, vistas really well. Yeah, the I think the effect that they're going for is much different than uh, a lot of games. A lot of games are uh, they want to look tantalizing, you know. So like you always want to go over that next ridge to see like the next thing you're gonna see. And Dark Souls is a game that is much more about like for me at least is much more about foreboding. Like you go into areas that actively look like you don't want to be there. Sure. <laughs> like yeah. Every like, and that's every. And this is amazing that they have this like tonal consistency. There has never been an area that I've walked into and not thought, ah, oh, fuck, this sucks. <laughs> Everything sucks about this place. Yeah, I hate it. Here. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Like, there's a lot of ruined castles, and there's a lot of underground crypts, and there's a lot of, uh of of areas that just uh, they don't look friendly and so like i don't think those areas are gonna look you, you look at hides tower of flame and it's gorgeous like you look out over the the vista you look at the you know the rolling waves like it's very very pretty um and that is like one of like 30 areas in the game and it's arguably there's there's a few that that look um nice and the rest are just like oh a lot of people have died here yeah. this is a I, this is a prison I think it also just uses very hard geometry. Like, it, I think it's, one, kind of a throwback to older style of polygonal games. Like, I, I think it wants to look a bit like the old-fashioned type of, like, PlayStation Adventure 3D game. Uh, I don't think I, that's a stylistic art choice. I, no, I, I, like think it, that, I think it really is. I think it's, I mean, if you also look at the games that they have made in the past, I think there is, like, a lineage between their old-school dungeon-crawling adventure type of things and this. Uh, on top of it, I think the hard geometry is on purpose because it it feels rough and tough. It's not a lot of smooth edges. Uh, and with how thorough they are with their art design, and if you ever read interviews with their art director uh, or any of their designers, they exc- like I mean they really dwell on every little detail. Um, I mean it's it's kind of okay, amazing. but no, hold on, I'm going to stop you right there because honestly, like. You start the game, you're in, like, right before you even meet the witches, which is literally the beginning of the game, and the ground looks like smeared feces. Like, it looks just like, and grass looks, like, dumb and silly. Like, it doesn't look good. I mean, at this point, you're talking about, like... Detail. Does the resolution on the ground texture look Does the grass billboard correctly? Yeah. (laughs) I I think there's a huge difference between, like, does it look like Crisis, and does it have beautiful art direction? Sure, are they? are, are they actually thinking about these things in ways that other people aren't? And like, they're not I, just like art direction. Like the the choices that they make to in, to give you this sense of like oppression, feel- and oppression and foreboding. There's this great the, one of my favorite things is that 
when you're at a campfire, which is like one of the few genuinely safe spaces. If you're at a campfire, you're a bon- much, bonfire, please. A bonfire. Please, please, you please. have to use the right a term. A bonfire. <laughs> if you're at a bonfire, you're basically safe. Like, and when other players are near that bonfire, sometimes you'll get like a glimpse of them. And they're actually look real when you're at the bonfire like they look like they're in your world and then as you both like get away from the bonfire they like turn spectral and disappear and it's like this terrible sense of like god I was almost sort of in a something like a sense of like partnership or community sure. like there was another person for just a second and then as we get away from safety it's like nope nope no, and, no there's nobody here and i don't Sorry. want to take that away from them because they do do that <laughs> stuff well uh, uh, you know and i just think it's a weird dichotomy because i think they do like like as i said vistas and like sort of the meta art design really well but no, like, but there are things like sometimes you'll go into a, a cave, for instance, and you look at a cave wall, and there's like no variance in the textures. Right. Like it just yeah. looks like. I, I think I think that that is why you all I'm assuming are familiar with the fact that they they downscaled a lot of the graphical presentation of yeah. the game to, according to From Software, you know, maximize its performance. It had, like, um, real-time shadowing. It's That was like the that. thing. The big thing wasn't... I, I mean, the textures did look better, but I feel like the big thing in those pre-release videos was the lighting. Um, because then you could be in an underground crypt that was ugly and yeah. scary and uninviting, uh, but those shadows made it really pop and made it look... Um, really visually appealing. Yeah, you can hide a lot of that stuff with good. Right, and I, I think that's what I think that's was their original intention. They just realized that that was not that was not going to work. Um, they have they have also I think done fewer things that make that that that. It, there was a lot of stuff in Dark Souls 1 and this is a big part of the reason that I stopped playing. There was a lot of stuff in Dark Souls 1 that was that was hard and frustrating. But there were some things that went beyond that to almost uh, like to a point of being demoralizing. Um, I'm thinking specifically of when you would get cursed, yeah. which would permanently not uh, permanently. Well, okay, permanently unless you did the craziest thing ever <laughs> and gave a sphere to a nest and let an <laughs> eagle pick you up and take you to a place where you could get a thing to fix it once. Like it is, it is, it is. That was demoralizing. And I think in Dark Souls 2, um, although they do have uh, a pretty demor- a somewhat demoralizing mechanic that, like, you every time you die, you lose a little bit of your humanity, which actually lowers your base HP. Uh, and it can get down to 50%. And I did not enjoy the game as much until I found an item that would not let it get any lower than 75%. At which point I just sort of accepted like this is where I live. This is my this is how dead I'm going to be. <laughs> this is the amount of deadness that I will experience for much of my playthrough to a point where like I don't even like being human cuz when you're a human is the only time that you can uh summon people into your world. So like I'm very choosy about when I decide to be a person. M- most of the time it's it's easier just to be a, a dead asshole. Um Griff, can you talk more about uh beyond sort of these uh, easily quantifiable mechanical differences. What you think some of the, like the big changes are? It, so I, I think that are a little, little less noticeable on the surface. Sure. I, I, well, I mean, there's one big obvious mechanic that we haven't talked about, and that is the ability to, from the start, jump 
between bonfires at will. In the original Dark Souls, you get an item called the Lord Vessel that lets you jump between very uh, particular bonfires. There's, there's, I want to say like eight or nine in the Fun game fact, that you can jump. Uh, Justin between. was right at the boss, right, you were right at you the boss, right before you get the Lord Vessel. Um, in this game, you can jump between any of them. As soon as you find them, you can use it as a, a, a teleportation hub and, and jump to any other bonfire that you found. That means like you could jump to a bonfire in the same area that you're at that's just a little bit ahead. It makes exploration so much easier, which is good because I feel like in this game, it's a little bit more open-ended than than the original Dark Souls is. Like In the original Dark Souls, don't get, it, get me wrong, you could go basically anywhere you wanted from... The start, um, especially if you had certain items like the master key, which is one of the gifts you could choose at the beginning of the game. Um, in, in Dark Souls 2, you really are almost always afforded like five or six directions you can go to either discover a new area or discover a uh, uh, an area in the same like zone that you're in that you haven't checked out before, which is so important because if you're running into a wall at the area that you're in, you could go into another area. You could go into a place that is like way more difficult than you can handle and just try and sprint through it. And maybe you'll find an item like that ring that Justin mentioned that, that gives you more health when you die or a weapon that you uh, can use that's a lot stronger than the one you're using. And and it's so it's it's rewarding both from an exploration standpoint and from a mechanical standpoint. And in Dark Souls 2, because you can jump between bonfires, you don't feel like you're being penalized for looking around. Yeah. Because the, you can just hop back to wherever it was that you were before you started, you know, going on this this Odyssey. It's definitely kinder. It does sort of take a little bit of the magic away insofar as like in Dark Souls 1, there's, like, shortcuts that you really, really have to work for. And it's, like, mm-hmm. very rewarding when you, like, open a door. And you're like, oh, shit, I'm back here. And now I can, like, really quickly get around this area. Those still and exist, though. Those still definitely exist. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of those, actually. Plant just turned into a zombie. Those still exist, Listen. Listen, young fella. Uh, they do still exist. A, a plant showed me one that I never in a million years would have spotted with, like, you throw a firebomb at a bunch of barrels and it, like makes your life a million times easier but it does there's a great there's a great one in uh the lost bastille where you you are you see a set of stairs and there's uh some sort of troll type fella at the top and he's got an exploding barrel and he kicks the exploding barrel at you and if you dodge out of the way of the exploding barrel it hits the wall behind you and opens up a route to a bonfire that like yeah. man, I, you really need that. By the way, like it 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 is it is very very valuable because there's also a guy in there with like a ton of items and crap like that. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. Like uh, Griffin, you've obviously played way more than I have. Do you feel like it um, removes some of the like attachment you might have to certain areas? Because in the end, you're just like skipping past them very quickly. Um, no, I don't think so. Because really, in the first Dark Souls, it wasn't like I would. Once I had found a bonfire, it, it it wasn't like it takes away from the magic of having to run manually between bonfires because what Dark Souls did, because it didn't have a really great fast travel system for, uh, you know, every location in the game, I would just play through the game actively minimizing the number of times I had to backtrack. Sure. It, it was It was such such a drain and such an annoyance especially once you got to be like pretty high level and you knew 
you'd like play through the whole game. You'd play through all the areas. You knew where all the hidden traps were. You knew, oh, there's a guy around this corner that I need yeah, to kill. Yeah, yeah. So like the surprise and the wonder of all of that is is not as great as it was the first time around. So really, it was just kind of a pain in the ass. There is nothing that in any video game I've ever played that matches that feeling when you've really like got an area unlocked like you really know it yeah and you are navigating it like so what you know what it reminds i always think of the uh the scene in the um fire swamp in, in oh yeah princess bride you know what i mean like yeah, where he's, he's just navigating the flames and stuff dodging the flames and not even like thinking about it and like that's uh, there like the attachment that you get to an area when you've like learned it that well and it's no longer scary to you because you know everything that happens and you're navigating it masterfully um, there's nothing in any game that satisfies in that exact way uh, that I found. Um, Except for Snickers. By the way, this episode is brought to you by Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> Snickers. It satisfies like mastering a level in Dark Souls. Uh, um, I want to loop back to the the strategy guide thing really quick, uh, just because we had mentioned it briefly, and Griffin and I have already had discussions about whether or not it's the worst thing or best thing you can do. But I... I personally think you can still have that experience that Justin's talking about having a guide like I I enjoyed having a guide because I am not going to have time for a second playthrough and I think that's where a lot of hardcore Dark Souls fans take a lot of their enjoyment is the first playthrough is hard and they get surprised a lot and the second playthrough is the one where they can actually apply all the knowledge that they have with the game Um, but also it just reminds me of being a kid and playing through insanely difficult uh, action games on the Nintendo or Super Nintendo, and having I think that you mean all to me. all of them. Yeah, all, exactly. all action games on the NES are. And impossible. I was so hard on Dark Souls One because I ref- I I just thought of it as like terrible design. Like here is a game that uh, you have to have somebody tell you how to you know like get to the pause menu, uh, or you have to have somebody explain to you what these. Uh, what basic weapon functionality means. And it seemed silly that uh, I was being dissuaded not to use a guide, when at the same time, everyone I knew learned most of what they knew about the game from other people. Uh, well, and also, or, or there's from a system. A previous game. There's also a system in the game, and, and yes, a lot of them are used for nefarious purposes, but there's it's a system a in the game for system. people. <laughs> Uh, leaving leaving messages to tell you, hey, there's a hidden wall here. Like that that is one that almost always appears uh, in in front of every hidden wall. Like if there's an illusory wall, there's almost always going to be a note in front of it saying, hey, check out here. Like you don't really need a guide for a lot of that stuff. <laughs> the best thing about messages is that they you 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 have to use pre-assigned words to like compose the message. You can't just type whatever you want to. And people have. Uh, 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 discovered that the word but is is in there, even though it's but, and the word whole is in there, but. So any time, I I cannot tell you the number of times that I've been wandering around this game feeling completely scared and demoralized, and found a message that just said destroy the butthole, <laughs> that just brightened my spirits a little bit. I like what, the idea the ones that, that are like a graffiti artist wandering around sure. this fantasy world. The fantasy, I, uh, if you will. Plus the ones that tell you to j- jump off cliffs. Uh, yeah. Never try jumping. Praise the sun. Um, and it, 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 there's also my my tagline. What I got up with was uh, "Hooray for horse." That was mine. <laughs> I put that in every area. Well, here's here's my case against. Oh wait, wait, wait. I, one more yes, little please. message anecdote. There was a uh, after you beat the the sort of um, Medusa type boss. 
Uh, there's like stairs that go around. No, no, no. It's the slug type boss. Uh, there are stairs that go around his area uh, that there's like a they're broken at the foot of them, but there's a little ledge below them. And I tried like three or four times until I finally was able to like time it so I could run at it. And the the jumping is crazy in this game. You have to like run with the uh, circle button or the, the B button, however you're doing it, and then press the left thumbstick to jump up. But I, on my fourth attempt, I got it, and there was a message that said, I did it. And I was like, wow, I know how this guy feels. Like, I absolutely uh, do. Like, I that that's cool that somebody else had the same experience. There's a message right next to it that says, like, dead end, nowhere else to go. Like, oh, <laughs> I guess this is the end of my adventure with getting up these stairs. But I'm glad someone else has, has experienced these same things. Um, my case against Strategy Guide is, is this. I... I love Dark Souls 2. I think it's it, it is in a lot of ways a better game than the original Dark Souls. There's some there's some stuff that it doesn't do as well as the original Dark Souls, but there's so many more things that it does better. Um but I will never have that experience of feeling like I had mastered something like I did when I beat the original Dark Souls. I'll never have that experience of surprise, not just like whenever I would get killed by a trap but just like learning that in this game there it's capable of screwing you over in that way in a way that like a lot of games are too scared to like a lot of developers are too hesitant to make a player feel the way that dark souls makes you feel like around every corner um it was just such a surprising and like wonderful feeling once you once you finish the game you felt like king king shit of fuck mountain and then i i in dark souls 2 like so many of those skills and so many of those the things i had learned in the original dark souls had carried over so it was a little bit less surprising and and i think when you play through the whole game with a a document that tells you what you're about to encounter it takes away from a lot of that surprise that you can only really have the one time, like yeah, once you once you have learned it, once you've played through the game, you literally will never be able to have that experience again. So don't rob yourself of this one time thing that but you're going to be able to do. I, right? I okay, but there's all right, a big but flip, but there. flip side yeah, to that. And it's I, not I, binary also. You, you don't have to do all of one or all of the other. In the moment to moment encounters, I agree with you. Like there is not a lot that's better than the feeling of like happily jaunt. Uh, leaping up to the top of a staircase and thinking like man i'm really making progress and then like a giant swings a hammer and hits you instantly like that rules that's great what i have where i break down are are things that like can screw you longer term in ways that you don't even realize you're being screwed like one uh, another uh, another sort of counter example besides the binoculars which i think is basically like a foolproof uh uh endorsement of strategy guides the there's a guy in um I guess he's on No Man's Wharf initially, where he is one of the he's the only NPC in the game where you can sell your items to him. And after you encounter him the first time, he goes away and you'll find him again much later. But like the game also he lets you sell off all your junk and you've got a lot of junk by this point. And the game also has a mechanic that lets you store your items. So I kid you not. 
five minutes before I would have found this guy. Like the last time I visited a bonfire before I found this guy, I thought my inventory is getting really cluttered. I have got to <laughs> store some of this stuff. I store all of it except the absolute essentials, and then I find this guy. Like sure. that. Well, that sucks. I, <laughs> yeah, but you don't really need that. I played through. I in both of my playthroughs of the game, I never found that dude, and I didn't really suffer for it. I, I understand I, what you're saying. I think it's good to find like a things you should absolutely find guide. Like yeah. these are things you absolutely shouldn't miss. And I think that that is okay. But like if you, here's here's what was crushing to me. Um, I, I played in that Heirs of the Sun Covenant, which is basically a covenant that uh, in order to progress, you have to help people out with bosses. Um, and there's a slight stigma attached to uh, you know, summoning players to help you out with bosses because a lot of boss fights, uh, especially before you get into New Game Plus where everything is more difficult, they're kind of a joke if you have multiple people. Um, and so, what was what was really heartbreaking for me is I would I would you know be summoned into this player's world a lot. I did it I think like thirty times to max out the covenant. The same uh, guy. Get, what's that? With the same dude. With the same character? Like, no, 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 no. Summoned no. by the same person. No, it wasn't the same dude. Like, man, I really like that one guy's style. I'm going to keep bringing it. <laughs> I'm going to help. I'm his guardian angel. Um, and and a lot of the time, like maybe half the time, I would get summoned to a world, and then they would go through the boss gate to start the boss battle. And about half the time, when they would go through the boss gate, it would show the cutscene uh, that that plays the first time you encounter a boss. So what that suggests is that these people oh. who summoned me in to help out with the boss fight hadn't actually fought the boss yet. They're just too scared. They were either too scared or they just wanted to like burn through it. Yeah. And that's so like that's so crushing. Like uh, I would also recommend that you only do that if you just can't get past a boss and you've tried him a lot already because like bosses I feel like are designed for single players to go at and and learn their their attack patterns and learn how to counter them and learn like the windows that you need to use to recharge your endurance and like it's such a it's such a, a it's like a microcosm of the game experience at large of having to learn how to do this thing and just like stay alive and and when you have another player that can like take all the aggro while you just dish out all the damage like it just it kind of ruins it a little bit yeah there are certain there are only certain boss fights where i've had to do that like uh the one that i had a lot of trouble with as i'm playing through as a sorcerer who also has a sword and a shield for when things get dire but like mainly relying on magic the uh executioner's chariot um was brutal goddamn brutal brutal and for and i just wasn't balanced i couldn't take a hit from the dude and i had a hundred percent uh blocking shield that was one of my 100 percent of physical damage i got and i had to i was like this is because it also is like you have to fight through these incredibly annoying uh uh dudes with like axes and whips that suck and then you fight this giant red knight on a broken bridge that sucks and then just to get to the executioner's chariot he is running around a circular room that's filled with skeletons and if if you don't dodge him in like an alcove he'll kill you and while you're hiding the alcove all there who's there but your buddy's skeletons and oh good in the next alcove there's a necromancer that's making more skeletons it sucks and it's that's really before you even like get to the dude that was one of the last bosses i actually fought i fought that was it it really was like every other boss and then that guy and then i beat the game um he's super 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 hard but like it was fun like 
the first like three or four times I tried it and I was like, oh, I get it. So this thing is running around in circles and killing you. Well, that sucks. This is going to be very hard. And then I learned how to get in the alcoves to dodge it. And then skeletons would murder me. And I'd be like, okay, I got to kill those skeletons. And then my third playthrough, I killed the skeletons and they'd pop right back to life because there's something reviving them. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe how fucking hard this is. Like it was so punishing, but so like incredible. It's, it's, that is like the the Dark Souls calling card. And I feel like if you bring somebody in with you the first time, you're going to miss out on all of that, all of that, you know, learning. Um, you know what I actually ended up doing that I was pretty proud of myself? Hmm. I would fire a, a spell called Yearn into his path. And that would lure all the skeletons into the ha- into the middle of the uh, hallway. It's like, oh, check see, that out. What's, that what's this glowing orb? That's is cool. so and then they get baller. That's incredible. And like, that's the kind of stuff that you don't learn if you play through the play through the game with too many helping hands. Yeah, I, I will say there are some bosses. I feel like the big complaint that's been leveraged against this game by like Dark Souls and and you know Soul Series vets is that it's easier in general. I think that. Uh, it, it's not 100% fair. I would say it's more accessible and stuff like being able to jump between areas and the despawning enemies does make it a bit more accessible. But there are definitely bosses that are way easier than anything that was in Dark Souls. I can't remember anything in Dark Souls that I beat my first time through by myself. Like almost every boss I had to die a few times to learn how to even start getting hits on this thing. Um, in Dark Souls 2, there were like there were like three or four bosses I just killed my first time through easy peasy. You're a beast. Um, I am a beast, but I mean, some of them just have like really predictable attack patterns and some of them are super, super slow and all you have to do is get out of the way of their attacks and then attack them and then get out of the way of their attacks and then attack. Nah, I think you're just really, really good. You're just awesome, Griffin. Maybe That's all there is to it. Now, there were a couple that I beat. I beat that slug guy the first time. He he was junk. Yeah. Um, but if he gets cl- too close to you, he eats you <laughs> and takes off all your equipment. Yeah. So you have to get away from <laughs> him and re-equip all your shit. I, I I adore the game though. I I, I mean I, I that's pretty obvious because I like basically beat it twice in the course of like a month and a half, which is a lot of Dark Souls to take in. Um, but it's super I, good. I want a mod for Dark Souls One that will make it like will will inc- include like bonfire teleportation and eventual enemy despawns. It would be hard for me to go back at this point. I think and finish the original uh uh dark souls but like that's the that's to me this is the biggest like plus in favor of uh using a guide if it if it suits you if it's what you you know want to do just because i got to a point with dark souls where like i just couldn't do it anymore like i didn't i didn't want to feel that way anymore i mean like i in my darkest moment i took the disc out and i threw it into my neighbor's backyard <laughs> is that true is a lot that is a hundred percent no bullshit true not only did i take the disc out i stood up i took the disc out i threw the disc in my neighbor's backyard mm. and then i took my uh 360 controller and i threw it at my garage as hard as i could oh my and the, the thumbsticks are you came eight off. years old i know i couldn't do that anyway oh i couldn't live that way well, it, was it was a nightmare and that was ornstein and smog i'm assuming i would love to see a chart of the drop-off of oh, people yeah. who play that game when they hit ornstein and smog because like a lot of bosses before that like the the iron giant that you have to fight 
uh, to get to Anorlando. Like, there's a tricky way that you can get to make him fall off. There's an exploit you can do there. He has an elemental weakness that you can take advantage of. There's a lot of stuff like that for all the bosses up to that point. There is nothing. There is nothing you can do to make Ornstein and Smog an easier fight. There's nothing. And that is what I feel like makes them the the brick wall that yeah. players have to try and get over. Um, I feel like we've spoken quite a bit about Dark Souls 2 and 1. Are you guys... Are you, I mean... I feel like we... What? Do you like it? I feel like we talked a lot about how, you know, all this shit has changed, but... I love I, it. I, I think it's so good. Yeah, I think it's a good it. game. I, I, You know, to be honest, like, I don't have a gaming PC, which is a bummer, but I just don't. So I had to play it in the office, which kind of limited the amount of time. I much prefer it to just come on a next-gen console and play it on that, but that could never happen. Who knows? I think it'll happen. I have a, I, think it might. I, have a I do still game. wish... So there's an item in the game I haven't used yet that lets you... When you equip it, you choose a god, which, I, I again, I haven't used it, so I'm not 100% sure how that works. I'm assuming there's just a list of names. And then if another player is wearing that ring with the same god chosen, it makes it a little bit easier to team up with them in in co-op play. I do kind of wish, and I understand why it's not uh, an easy thing to do, because it would definitely throw off the game. It would make those situations where you just bring the same person into a boss fight with you every time, which kind of ruins the experience a bit, a lot easier to pull off. Um, so I get why they didn't make it so you can just like summon one of your buddies into the world. But I do kind of wish like now, like you guys are all playing it and like Chris Grant's playing it. Like a lot of people I know are now playing it on PC. I kind of wish like I could hop into their world and play with them and explore with them and help them out with the parts that they're getting stuck on. Um, Because there really isn't like an awesome way to do that. If your character is super high soul level and soul memory. Um, So something like that I think would be, would be good maybe even if it's just like in new game plus you can do it regardless of whatever the gates are like you've already beaten the game so it's not like you have to you know worry about maintaining that super punishing dark souls experience just let me play with my buds my bros yeah i don't know maybe that ring does three maybe maybe that ring does do a good job of of helping that happen um i need to mess around with that a bit i guess Shall we move on? Sure. Yes. Seems like we're due. We just spent about 45 minutes on Dark Souls. Uh, I'm, I enjoy it, but there are other games. Other Souls games there in the world. There are other games, but let's continue. <laughs> um, one game that I wanted to talk about this month is a game called Wayward Souls, which also has the word Souls in the title. And it's not a coincidence because it actually is pretty kind of similar to Dark Souls. Um, which might, I mean, very different, but also kind of similar. Um, it's an iOS game uh, coming from uh, a team called Rocket Cat. And uh, it is like a top-down RPG in the style of, I guess, like Zelda 1, maybe, kind of kind of feels like. But it's randomly generated and very, very difficult. And so, where the similarities Dark Souls come in is that it's, very much about mastering enemies and each and every enemy has like a way they attack and like you need to know every encounter and sort of feel like you are master of this arena in every encounter um it's interesting and it's it does bring me like gives me that same vibe that i get when i'm playing dark souls and i'm like 
rolling and dodging, you know, attacks from giant knights. I, you know, I don't know that iOS is the best platform for it. I know it's coming to PC as well, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. it reminded me a, a lot of Rogue Legacy. It, uh, it, it maybe even has more of that in its DNA, I think, than Dark Souls. Uh, just sort of structurally, you choose a class uh, between a mage fighter and, well, like a thief type dude. There's like six of them, I think. Yeah, uh, and and you, the only thing you keep uh, between attempts is the gold that you earn, which I love. It is really hard for me to get into a roguelike like this. Like I think you could call this basically a roguelike, where you don't have some sort of progression overall. So sure. that is nice that you you collect uh, money on each playthrough and you can use those to upgrade the base skills of each each class, which I really dig. Yeah, Dude, uh, I did. I- yeah. I mean, what do you think about the controls? Because from the beginning, I was pretty much turned off to the game by the controls. What like, this is interesting because what platform were you playing it on? On, on iOS. No, it's no, not no. On what PC is it? No, what device? Oh, like, what physical uh, device? Okay, interesting. See, I was playing on an iPad three, and I had the same experience. Like, I I recognize that it's a very well designed game. It looks incredible. It looks a lot like the uh, Mana games. The, yeah. Secret of Mana. Secret of Mana and all those those titles. And, like, those are some of my favorites. I love the way it looks. I just, on an iPad 3, I don't don't think this idea of dual thumbstick games works on an iPad 3 because it requires you to actually hold this relatively large device like you would hold a, a Game Boy. You hold it with your thumbs on, you know, the corners, and you have to hold the whole thing with the rest of your hands. And it's so super uncomfortable um, I, I, it made me wish that I, I mean, there are a lot of things in my day-to-day life that makes me wish that I hadn't bought this fucking HTC one and had just gotten an iPhone like a normal person. Um, but this is definitely one of them because it's just games, dual thumbsticks and games. I just don't think work very well I think on a big iPad. I think it's better than other games have been just cause like they, this uses like a sort of a quasi swiping technique. So I think it's better than certain games have been on iOS, but it's clear that whenever any sort of dual stick anything is happening on iOS, it would be much better with a controller. I actually don't know if there's controller support if you happen to have an iOS controller. Um, yeah, I, like 12 I had, people that, yeah. I had the same experience. I really like a lot of the things that it's doing, but there's a fidelity of aiming that I just isn't there. And like for, for uh, like I was trying to use, I, I like the mage because it has uh, yeah. a bit more range. Um, but like the, <clears throat> there were so many instances where like I knew what I needed to do. Like I knew what I needed to sh- shoot. I was in the proper place for it. I was ready for it. And just the aiming, it didn't aim right with like the, the virtual thumbsticks. And that's, that's, that's tough when you're, uh, playing a game that like where challenge is a big aspect of it if if the controls aren't exactly spot on right uh it makes it a lot more frustrating i think than it needs to be yeah i agree with that again it's coming to pc so i think the game is going to see a bit of a resurgence presuming it's hitting steam or something like that um i think like that's certainly the platform that i'd prefer to play it on like if i can play it with a ps4 controller or something on my pc or a mac whatever um that would be much better i think um the other issue that I had with it is that, uh, and you guys probably didn't play quite this far into it, there's, like, three areas, and you basically, like, and, like, six levels per area. The third area is such a brutal jump in difficulty from the second 
that I was like really kind of like, oh, I'm never going to get through this. And it gives you like one potion every three hours. <laughs> like yeah, it you, fills them out so strictly. Like you get nothing. Which I sort of get because what the game is, the way they're doing it, the way it's designed is that they're trying to get you to a point where you're really every single encounter you're doing perfectly. Or at least like there's a little room for error because you do gain health every time you beat a level. But they're encouraging you to be like, like every time you screw up, that's a big punishment. Um, and it's sort of similar to Dark Souls in that way, where it's like, you know, every potion is valuable. Um, and, you know, I get why they did that. But again, the, that third area is just like a wall of frustration. And, and the other issue that I took with was the upgrades that you're getting from gold, unlike Rogue Legacy, which I think is an apt comparison, but the upgrades really don't they seem like they would make a big impact but they, it doesn't really feel like it like i didn't yeah. feel like i was getting it's that all much incremental more things and not a lot to do with like the core things that right. you'd really want right and and there's like a weapon upgrade system which is kind of interesting where you're like selecting between two different upgrades but a lot of times like one of the upgrades will just be awful and like i would just skip them because um, the starting weapons that i had were just like better um, One of the things I thought that was really interesting about Wayward Souls, um, uh, and this is maybe an advantage it has over over Rogue Legacy, not to like keep comparing it, but uh, the the levels are different each time you play. Yeah, uh, and the that that I'm normally not so crazy about, but the cool thing with this is that there are actually story beats that you will find as you play through that are like that you wouldn't. I mean that that you run into sometimes that you wouldn't other times. That, like sometimes you see like ghosts that are are have of people who have died in this tower, and you like see their little story play out. Or sometimes you'll run into one of the other characters that you can play through, just like through a wall or something. I had that once where like I I I was the the warrior type guy, and I saw the mage on the other side of a wall, and like they didn't communicate or anything, but like there was a little story beat where like one of them thought they heard something and they dismissed it but like stuff like that was is really cool yeah, and helps to take the, take the burden off of uh the the sort of monotonous like doing the uh, you know going through the same thing over and over and over again yeah yeah i dug it i think it's an interesting game again i don't know that ios is the ideal platform for it but um i think it's it's well made and uh thoughtful um, again, the, I think the controls are probably the biggest sticking point right now. They did the best with what they could, but again, just like digital control sticks on iOS. Blah. I will admit that it is by by a large degree not the game I played the most on iOS this past month. Really? Well, that's funny. What, what <laughs> game did you play the most on iOS? I, maybe like the just straight out game I, I played the most on iOS games actually because ftl advanced edition came out on sure. ipad which we i think all acknowledge that we just can't talk about anymore yeah um it, it much like towerfall is a game that we have extolled all of the virtues of completely there's just not a lot to talk about i mean advanced edition does add some new stuff and like that game is perfect for ipad um and you should pick it up if you haven't because uh, it's amazing but uh, Hearthstone is Hearthstone. another game that we just can't talk about anymore sorry God. everybody Hearthstone can't, but this is the news segment. News. Hot oh, okay. News. Well, yeah. <laughs> news. Hearthstone's really a great game. And let's God, just talk about speaking it. Speaking of games that, like, I would not have thought 
at all in any way that I would enjoy. Like Hearthstone does not seem like my kind of jam, but man, oh man, did I get like deep into Hearthstone. Well, and you know what's great about Hearthstone compared with like other um, uh, games of this ilk is like you can play it a lot and it certainly rewards that. But like Hearthstone, I can take two weeks off of Hearthstone and hop back in and still have a lot of fun and like yeah. don't, and I don't feel like I lost a lot in the interim. Like it, it is perfect for like bite size. You know, I got 15 minutes. I'm going to get a couple rounds. It's kind of designed to des- designed to play that way, right? Because you get daily quests. You unlock one a day. So, and you can have up to 3 at any given time. So like and daily quests are your your best way of getting gold. So it kind of makes sense to not play it for a little bit, get rack up some daily quests, knock them out, buy some packs or go in the arena and then wait for more daily quests. Y'all, you already know how much I love our sponsor of the week, Rocket Money. They make it so easy to get your personal finances on track, especially stop worrying about all these subscriptions that you have that you don't necessarily need. Keep the ones you want, get rid of the rest. Here's how it works. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. That might sound too good to be true. I have tried it myself on multiple different monthly payments I have, and it's worked, which is incredible and so much easier than getting on the phone with all these companies and trying to wrangle this yourself. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. So cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash besties that's rocketmoney.com slash besties rocketmoney.com slash besties you go get a phone you just want a phone to talk to your friends and family you're not asking so much then you get these contracts and you get ripped off because you got all this fine print little details and all of a sudden they're sucking money out of your pocket like some sort of digital leech you know the contract may sound good uh, up front, but there's always some sort of catch. You know who's not going to do that to you? Not going to pull that nonsense? Mint Mobile. Their wireless plans. There is no catch. $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings directly on to you. You want to pay hundreds of dollars for, like, literal hundreds of dollars for your wireless plan? Or do you want to have a nice easy solution save some put the bucks back in your pocket pay 15 bucks a month say bye to your overpriced wireless plans jaw-dropping monthly bills the unexpected overages sound familiar to get this new customer offer and get your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month go to mintmobile.com besties that's mintmobile.com besties Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash besties. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I want to travel back in time. Okay. I think it was about two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, give or take, um, to a PAX 
where Dar- uh, where Hearthstone was first announced. Because Blizzard went into the PAX and they were like, hey guys, we are going to announce a new game at PAX. And everyone thought it was Titan, I'm assuming. And everyone thought it was something the- amazing. And everyone was like on the edge of their seats. Because PAX generally, you don't get like huge game announcements, so at least not many of them. And certainly Blizzard usually saves their best stuff for like BlizzCon. And they go up there and they announce a card game. And the room is like, yay. But damn, they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, holy crap. Yeah, I can't, I can't stop. I get home and I just cannot stop playing Hearthstone. It's so much fun. How, um, how does everyone feel about the pay mechanics? Because it's a free game. And for a long time, I had no desire to spend money. I was playing ranked matches. I always felt like I was playing people who were like right at my speed. And I thought I was pretty good at this game. And I was slowly getting better. And then I played uh, anyone else, any anyone, me. any of our coworkers. Uh, but sure, me, I played Fresh. He's very, very proud of how good he is. Um, He's not. He has, he has one not. combo deck that I can't beat. But but what I realized was I hadn't to, paid any money compete, at that point. No, no, no. I, I I understand. But to compete, I had to start reading a lot about the game. Yes. I had to start figuring out combo decks. I had to start saving up dust to get certain cards to build my own if I didn't want to play a certain type of class. Uh, and it became a thing where I, I more and more felt like obligated to spend money um, and also just to start playing the game in a very specific way, uh, which, I don't know, it made it more competitive, which is fun, but it also kind of took some of the joy out of it. I feel like we're all sort of on the same page. We had this discussion a while ago, I think when Super Stickman 2 uh, Super Stickman Golf 2 oh, came yeah. out uh, yeah. about spending money on uh, either free games or games with microtransactions. And the way that I feel about it, um, and I've always felt this way about it, is if I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of a game, um, not even like how many hours I put into it, but like how much I've enjoyed that game, I have no reservations about spending money on on it. Um, if it enhances my game experience, not like a, a lot of the times in free to play games, that will mean like doing this one thing faster or, right. um, you know, getting past this one sort of artificial gate hearthstone, just because of, uh, you know, the, the random nature of its exp- expansion packs, it really does just feel like it is enhancing that experience without making you feel guilty. About spending money on it. Uh, I would say uh, it made me feel a little bit guilty. It, it does, to con- uh, in contrast to what you just said, it does speed up a certain aspect of the game, which is to say, if you, yeah, for a I week, guess. just do daily quests, you would have enough to buy a pack for free, essentially. But sometimes it, you can get a pack that does nothing for you. I mean, yeah, that, frequently. And, that, and, that, and that, that's, that's not a, a very satisfying experience. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't like the and and this is probably heresy to some people. Like, I don't really enjoy the deck building aspect of it. Like that, oh, funny to me, does not appeal. I to really me. Like, like that I part, and I don't like the random part of it. I don't like the the idea of like trying to build a deck that uh, you know does or doesn't work together. I like to look at decks other people have built and try to like emulate those decks because I like the playing of the game. I don't necessarily like the the deck building aspects of it. So like for oh, me, you mean deck building from scratch? Yes. Like right. deck building. Yeah. So that was the issue that I had with it as well is that, um, I would like when I beat plant, it was really satisfying because I beat him with 
a deck that I created myself, but every time I'd go online, I'd get crushed. And what I found was really the only way to do well online is to essentially, like, you go online, there's tons of decks that people have built. What I like to do is generally, like, I'll recreate a deck that someone made and then alter it with, like, certain favorite cards that I have. Or because but, you don't have the legendary cards. Right, exactly. Like, but I, I like, right. I don't have the insight to know, like, oh, this is how the mana curve should be. Like, I should have three threes and three fours because no, if but I you don't, play, I'm going to get screwed. You play with a couple decks. Uh, you play with a deck a couple times, and you start to figure out what that de- deck does well and what it's yeah. what what sort of areas it's deficient in. Yeah. And and you start to learn what cards you, ha- you know, draw when you're playing that you just right. never fucking use. So, like, with my Hunter deck, out. with my Hunter deck, it was like, I was constantly, like, desperate to get release the hounds which is like my super powerful card that all my other cards are like relying on and i wasn't getting it so then i just altered my deck to have more cards that caused me to draw more cards from my deck Mm. so like you're gonna lose tempo though if you shut your fucking mouth griffin i'll play how i want to play i felt the same way about i i had built a mage deck that i just really needed pyroblast and i feel like if you don't have pyroblast you're barely i think you're only half a mage because like there's, there, it's really great to really super great to have somebody who thinks that they're winning and then drop the the hammer like yeah, that. Yeah, that's how um, release the hounds was for me. Yeah. Oh god, it's so satisfying. Anyway, I, what, that, oh, are, oh sorry, go ahead. Play. I, I just want to say I think my issue with all that because I I don't begrudge the company wanting to make money off its free to play game. Like and compared to all the other gross things other companies do, I don't think this is that terrible. I just think it's like all other trading card games, which. I, I've always found frustrating because when I play a game of poker, I know they're going to be the same cards in every deck, right? Like, I know I don't have to continue to invest money just to compete. And if I'm going to go up against people who have, like, a ton of legendary cards, not only do I, can I assume that they're better at the game than I am, but they also have an advantage on top of that. And that is what, even knowing it exists, even if I don't come up against those people, kind of, like, turns me off to wanting to continue to play the game because i know just to get up to speed i'm uh, going to have to there aren't th- there aren't a lot of the there are I, there are a, a lot of legendary cards but there's only a couple that are used in a lot of decks there was one card called pat nagel which is a really low cost card that would make you draw a card at the end of your turn uh and it had or sorry it had a 50 percent chance to draw a card at the end of your turn and it, had, and it had like a shit ton of health and it was one of the it was a low cost card so you could play it at the beginning of the game and then basically keep card advantage for as long as it was on the table and it was in every deck for a while until blizzard made it so that you had to draw a card at the beginning and not the end of your turn so you had a chance to kill pat nagel before you had a chance to use that ability uh and then he started showing up in absolutely no decks so like blizzard i think understands that that problem um i still have a real issue with leroy jenkins which is a card that uh has charge meaning you can use it the the turn it's played and it has six damage so it's fucking super super powerful and is like the card that people play at the end of the game to shut you out and it's so frustrating because i see it in a lot of decks and i just i haven't found it and it costs a lot to craft it yeah what i will say though is that i was i was online last night at like 10 p.m. looking at various car of decks that people have built and this dude made a hunter deck that made it to like number one in North America, number one in Europe, etc, etc, like very powerful deck and not a single legendary in it. 
It was like, and not even like epics either. It was like a mix of rares and common cards. And so like that does give me hope. Like the game is designed that you should be able to win if you're smart without yeah. getting these lucky draws. I think no, the lucky yeah. draws help more casual people to, you know, be better at the game. But um, the expert players are not reliant on getting those legendaries. No. Legendaries are balanced because you can only have one, not two of them in your deck, meaning you have to be pretty lucky to draw them in the first place. And most of them are pretty sit- situational. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, you have to draw them at the exact right time. So, really, the, plant, you're just bad at the game. You're just bad at the game. To. Sure. Um, I think you're a great plant. I should have. these guys. We got to move on. Talking, uh, by the way, a lot of big game from people on this podcast. I am still undefeated by anybody at the Polygon staff. I beat you. I, You've I never came close me. to beating you. I beat once. you when you started playing. <laughs> well, that was go, that was. Suck an I egg. was a child. I'll play again though. I I I'd like to. I think that would yeah. be good. We'd hone each other like steel, like fine steel yeah, like, hones other steel. Okay. What a, what other uh, news do we got? There's not going to be an Nintendo press conference at E3. They're going to keep their same uh, strategy that they had last E3, which is they have a completely controlled uh, video message that they send out to the Nintendoids. I'm fine with it. Yeah, it's just I I don't know. It's more evidence that they realize that they can't really compete on a well like, no because they had a scale. They had a shit ton of stuff at last year's in last year's Nintendo Direct you know press conference. Substitute. But if they had a shit ton of stuff that would appeal to hardcore Nintendo fans. They realize like they're not going to get New York Times to write about them. Right. They don't need but a that mainstream right. It press hookup. It's six in one, half dozen in the other. Like I, I think by doing these Nintendo Directs, they can get this shit out in front of more people without the, having to rely the on... the same people they're getting in front of. They're getting the hardcore audience that they've always had. They're not getting a new audience from these Nintendo Directs. I'm saying that in, in Nintendo Direct is easier to cons- consume if you're not at E3 and you're just like at home or at work with a fast internet connection and you can just watch the Nintendo Direct live when it happens. It's It's not, like, let's be honest, it's not as, it's nowhere near as exciting as, like, having an event on stage that feels like an event. Like, that also is videotaped. Yeah, and also is pre-taped. Like, having a demure Japanese man slowly roll out the iterations of Mario that they have for the year uh, is is perhaps more soothing. Is it more soothing than, like, it's, it's more soothing, but, like, I would take that over fucking like Chingy getting on stage and then okay, doing a song sure, and then talking about how much he loves FIFA Ch- 15. The benefits of Chingy are that. <laughs> let's and then say the portion my, of the program, Russ Freshnick extols the virtues of Chingy. My uh, cousin, who's not a hardcore gamer, doesn't know what games are about, but just heard from Chingy that the Xbox is mad hot and then goes <laughs> to Best Buy and is like, oh, I guess I got to get an Xbox. Like, that's how you grow an audience. And Nintendo is not trying to grow their audience. You're saying that people who, people who don't give a shit about games are clamoring to find out what the fuck is going on. I'm saying on they might read the E3. New York Times, and if the New York Times is not writing about your press conference, except to say you're in trouble financially, that's not a good uh, method. For I just don't. I just don't give a shit. I really just. Think I it's care like, about the games too, but like, I that, think it makes sense that, in their strategy. But I think there's a lot of people who wish that their strategy was something different. You I, just, know I, I don't mean? think like, it makes like their strategy has been failing for the last three years. So I, I don't, don't know why. But we're not talking. Play. Okay, this has nothing to do with their fucking corporate strategy. It's just a different way to disseminate information about the games that they're going to release over the next calendar year. It does strategy. have. It does have to do with their corporate strategy. They are not making a play for the mainstream audience. They feel like they had their day, and they are not trying to get 
Average Joe and Average Jane. If they announce who, Wii U 2 during this goddamn streaming video instead of their press conference, people are still going to write about it. Like, it, it doesn't okay. matter. They're just doing a pre-recorded thing other than a press... Like, here's what I think. I think uh, two-thirds of press conferences at trade shows are fucking terrible, are miserable, and we all walk out of them going, that was a joke. Like, why, if you if you don't think you're going to be able I'm to, like, it's crush not it and, and announce a new is, thing... If- if they announce Wii U 2 during a video at E3, what that says to investors and what it says to the type of people who would read the New York Times is, wow, this company has such little confidence in their product that they can't be bothered to pre- present this on the stage like every other tech company, it's not just video game perception. company, in all the world. And that that would be the issue. It's It, it has to do with their business because it has to do with perception. Exactly. I'm not saying, like, for, for the consumer, it's, yeah, it means jack like it, there's barely any difference but in terms of like showing the strength of your company and showing perception to investors and people who are into what the hell is going on with the company this says we are not spending a lot of money we are trying to be conservative right now and we just want to get to next year because I maybe just, next I, year will be bigger i wish those investors could have like had to cover from like a journalistic standpoint, like a Konami press conference circa 2010 and be like, wow, maybe we should do less of these things. But Jennifer Love Hewitt, how else will you know the games are good if she doesn't tell you? In Cirque du Soleil. I just think, I, I, it is so rare. And I guess that's what's so exciting. I remember Plant, you and I covered a Ubisoft press conference a couple years ago. And it was the one where they announced like uh, the Zombie U and like their huge slate of Wii U games. And also they announced Watch Dogs. I remember you and I walking out of that like, fuck yes. That was awesome. All kinds of new IP. Genuinely exciting. Super concise. Uh, it, it was a really great press conference. That is such a... a uh, um, a rarity i feel like most of the time there's just so predictable so much just bullshit like it's this year it's all about the player experience like shut up let shane back on the stage to do another song the point the point of the matter is that if nintendo felt like it was capable of generating that kind of excitement the the kind of excitement that would get you talking about their platform more than microsoft and sony they would be at e3 and they're not they don't they can't. Are they not going to be at E3 at all, or are no, they just they not are. doing a press they conference? Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I mean, they, you know what I'm saying. They would be doing a press conference. I, I think they're good at doing these videos. I look forward to the Nintendo Directs. I think, I think they, these videos are the fucking pit. Are you kidding? Yeah, I would so, I would sooner like read an, a Nintendo Power back issue than watch on my fucking iPhone as I see Kirby's back yet again, and it's not the one good Kirby yeah, where you draw on the DS screen. It, they're press but, like, releases, essentially. It's boring. It's boring. There's like a video clip and you can't even tell why it's better or worse than the last one and if you're not like a big nintendo diehard already which i i'm not apparently i am i love nintendo i like their games a lot and it this really does not do it for me like also how can we tell what's going on internally if we don't have reggie casually ribbing iwata on stage but they do that in the videos they that's how i judge the corporate temperature (laughs) and the relationship between america and japan so when you guys watch that one press conference where fucking robbie drums got up there and had a seizure and died on stage you guys weren't like hey nintendo i'm you know what guys i love you guys i love your games i love zelda and I love all of the jumping that Mario and Luigi do together as brothers. You are allowed to not do press conferences anymore because I just watched a man have a seizure and die on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss that press conference? <laughs> Apparently. 
Oh, what I, I, I just, Listen, it's I'm just... not saying it's a bad idea. I don't think they should have one this year. They have to go into, like, their turtle shell. And yeah, win, I agree you know, with like, that. Unless they have the... new hardware coming out, I think they should not pretend. and Because it's way more embarrassing to just do a press conference and just, like, list off a bunch of old franchises than... And then no third part, like, little third no party, party support, support and little, like, that's like entertainment stuff. Like, yeah. So if they had a Wii U 2, which I think would be a bad idea, but if they had, like, a new 3DS, like a 3DS 4, whatever, um, fine, have a press conference. Like, that's something worth shouting. That's something that might get mainstream attention. The, the other benefit to this is when they do have a, an E3 press conference the next time, they will generate more excitement. It will be more exciting because yeah, they Yeah, you know out, that something big is going uh, okay, just super quick. Kevin Spacey's in Call of Duty. Oh my, that's crazy. They should have a press conference just for that. That's crazy. How big of a check, right? How big of a check? They are a capable lot. of writing pretty big checks at this a point. Lot of I money. Um, uh, no, I like that he's exactly the same character as I got. Yeah, sure. Uh, here's my insight. That trailer got me high fee again. I didn't think I would ever get high yep. for this franchise again after fucking Ghosts, which I played for 15 minutes and was like, nope, 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 nope. Um, I played it for more than 15 minutes, maybe 25. I played um, the whole thing. It's so brutal, man. Yeah, um, it was bad. I didn't think I would be able to get excited for this year's model. <clears throat> Guess what? I did. I'm psyched. All that mobility stuff. Uh, I mean, that's the new hotness in first-person shooters. It's all about mobility with Titanfall and, I'm, and now this. I'm most excited to see what Sledgehammer can do with the franchise because I, I think they'll be able to uh, come up with some pretty fresh, some pretty fresh shit. They're Bring good, back Pick 10. They make good that's games. That's all you need. Yeah. Anyway, that's cool. Also, Amplitude. Uh, mm. What? Amplitude Kickstarter from Harmonix. Very cool in the regard that like Amplitude is a great fucking game, and I would love to play another Amplitude. Weird in that... It seems like they would have the money for this. Like it seems like they would have the amount of money. Well, that but you would say that for. at this point about Double Fine, right? Like Double Fine, you know, that's what Double Fine's doing too. It's like, you know, it this I, just removes all the risk for them. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's that's the play. You know, they they know there's pin up, they want to see that there's pin up demand for it. Sure. Also, they they have. I mean, it may have nothing to do with how much money they got in the old bank that they can spend on this stuff. It may not have anything to do with development resources. It's they have two games in develop. They have more than two games in development right now. Probably maybe this is a way for them to go a little bit above and beyond what what their their current resources allow. Um, yeah, I'm fucking psyched though. I loved Amplitude a lot, and it's yeah, interesting like that, that this POV was a stuff. this was a a. It sounds like. Uh, this was a project that Sony was a bit sort of uh, complicit in in helping get this Kickstarter going, which is which yeah. is fascinating. The relationship is there is really interesting. Uh, can I do a brief halftime segment? I know we said we weren't going to do one, but I, sure, I do have go for one. It. So I woke up the other day and I was about to go outside and jammed in my door. Remember, I'm living in an apartment building, so this is I guess not too uh, dissimilar because you get menus and stuff jammed in your door. Jan sure. my door was a letter. Uh, it was printed using block letters. Great. And Good start. It basically said, attention, your building is about to use oil-based primers in the building, which causes headaches and baby problems and a list of other things that are really, really bad for me. Oil primers for painting? Yeah, for painting. Um, and that was it. There was no, like, this is from a concerned neighbor. There was no, like, 
nothing else on it like no action items like should i present this to the building and be like what the fuck uh it was like like uh someone hammered it to my door as a way to like describe all these awful things that are going on but i have no dear rust brush jake shit's about to get super bad for you my man um and like did you call the building or whatever i mean i i don't even know what how that conversation is going to play out it's like they're they're going to be like yeah we know a yeah, part of me was thinking that. it's the contractor that is like the building's kind of cheaping out on us getting the shitty paint and not paying us as much so we're gonna it just seems like there's some fucking drama going on in my building and i don't know how to deal with it i'm gonna assume it's batman you think Batman's Listen, like spreading the word on Batman oil-based primers? Batman needs to take some softballs every now and then, you know. <laughs> Bat- Batman needs a grounder from time to time, and maybe putting notes about this in people's doors is just like, ugh. I just need to relax. Do you think in primer, like lit on fire, there's going to be like the bat signal in my hallway? I told you so. <laughs> Shoot me straight. How would you rush to buy? Leave the a DLC? window open. <laughs> would you buy that DLC if that was like what they offered for the new Batman game? They're like. Here, it's a whole bunch of missions where you like unclog some toilets, you pull some hair out of a sink. You do a quick time event and you just like jump in to somebody about to eat their dinner. Like, those, that Lean Cuisine is full of GMOs. You really should like, be chewing more thanks. with that steak. That told, milk expired two days ago. I've told everybody the blue is for glass, the green <laughs> is for paper. Mr. Brennan in 4A, I saw you. Yeah. The difference between us. Is I'm not wearing hockey pads, and I know where the glass goes. It's in the blue. Yes, so it's a bit of a quagmire that I'm in. <laughs> well, good luck. Don't, don't die. The trash cans have a lid for a reason. If we get raccoons, I'm holding all of you personally responsible. The raccoon. <laughs> if my arch nemesis, the raccoon, by which I mean not an anthropomorphized raccoon, but the natural raccoon... Gets into our trash. I'm holding all of you personally responsible. My family was murdered by raccoons. <laughs> when I was a kid, I fell down in a cave and was swarmed by raccoons. And then bats. And I decided to go with the bat with the bat thing. Because they're kind of a scarier animal than a raccoon man. Uh, the raccoons have natural masks. They do have natural masks, which I appreciate. Their tiny tails are so cute. I could have been Tanuki Boy. With giant, I could have had giant awesome balls, like a Tanuki man. <laughs> but it would have been much, much harder to fly around and shit. Where's Falcone? Where's Falcone, though? Falcone from 7B, he left the back door open again. <laughs> Falcone! Raccone! Raccone! <laughs> Tanuki! Where's Tanuki? <laughs> Where is he? All right. Uh, <laughs> Let's, Let's talk, talk about Elder Scrolls Online, which is somehow made it on the list of the best things. I don't. I just want to talk about it because I did. I I put like a lot of time into it, like forty hours, and I I'm trying to get as much value out of that out of that forty life as possible. <laughs> um, I have not played forty hours of it. Um, Boil uh, it down, I, though. I, like, I, do, you guys both love like Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Like, absolutely, Skyrim is one of my favorite games ever made. Yeah. Like, so of course yeah. you love Elder Scrolls Online. I think Elder Scrolls Online is fascinating. I, 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 I'm reaching a point where you're laughing, but like I can appreciate a game that is fascinating in its design, even if I don't necessarily like playing it. Um, That's how well, Dark Age of Camelot was. Same developer. Very fascinating, but like not super fun to play. Was that the same developer? It was. That can't no, be true. that's not right. I think it is. 
Now the developer of this game is Zenimax Media. Yeah, but they were. I think Zenimax bought um, whichever company made. Here, somebody googling. Someone looked it up, but I'm pretty sure Zenimax bought that company that made Dark Age Camelot. So it was made by Mythic, and Mythic was picked up by. Oh yeah, it was published by Vivendi Games. Right. Um, But then Electronic Arts, Electronic Arts purchased Mythic, and they were the publisher after that acquisition in 2006. So So am I dead wrong wrong or dead right? Yeah, you're super wrong. Okay, never mind. Totally wrong. Anyway, (laughs) uh, so the weird thing about Elder Scrolls Online, there's a lot of weird things, but it's a weird. The big bet that Elder Scrolls Online is making is that what people liked about Elder Scrolls was the world and the lore and maybe like half of the mechanics and not the sort of solitary you know exploring an entire world and becoming the the master of it uh because the experience that elder scrolls online offers is like a deep dive on lore like deep like it's taking you back to the beginning before i mean we're back to the interregnum before the events of like most of the uh, pretty much all the modern Elder Scrolls games. Yeah, but I just like. Um, does, do you care about the lore of Elder Scrolls? Like, no. if Justin doesn't, if Justin doesn't, nobody does. Right. If I don't know, I I've never been a big lore nut. I like worlds. I like exploring them. I like, I like the lore of Fallout. Become yeah. Okay. Well, shit. Yeah, I actually do like the lore of Fallout <laughs> a lot more. But uh, I, I that is the game that is on offer here. It is weirdly. In, in the areas that you would expect them to sort of transcend the MMO genre to uh, make something that really makes sense in the context of an Elder Scrolls game, they have instead doubled down on uh, MMO convention to make something that's weirdly more uh, expected and predictable and sort of hits all the genre beats but doesn't really exceed them in any way which is very strange can you guys help me out because i i actually could use it in regards to this game and maybe skyrim too so i hated fantasy for all of my life until about six months ago after i played like <laughs> D D for a while and that kind of like got me a little bit into it and now i've like watched game of thrones in like two and a half weeks so i think i'm like getting closer to going all in on this thing and I'm like, hey, you know what? If I like those things, maybe I like other things that people in this world like, like Skyrim, that I always felt like a crazy person for. So here I am today, and I have two options. I could play Elder Scrolls Online. I've never played an MMO, like, considerably either. Or I could play Skyrim, which is an older game. What do I do, and why would I do it? Are you asking us whether you should play the Elder Scrolls Online or Skyrim? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about these. I like, I've avoided these games because they had dragons in them. Okay, so here's what I would say: uh, if you're gonna play an MMO, go ahead and play World of Warcraft. It's still wicked good, and they have uh, shaved off every single rough edge until it is a, a pure dopamine experience that will that still has the power to like rope you in in a deep big way if you want it if you want a single player game if you want to experience the elder scrolls world like play skyrim if you want to understand what all the cards in hearthstone are based on go ahead and play world of warcraft you'll see some familiar faces you don't even know what fucking murlocs are (laughs) 
what are you doing playing this goddamn game? He actually asked me the other day, what is a murloc? And I had to make oh, the noise s- for him. No, I know what the noise is. I've played Hearthstone. I know what a murloc deck is. But I was telling murloc learned... decks before you knew what a murloc deck was, fool. When you that's were how he learned what a murloc game. was. He didn't realize that they were actual murlocs in World of Warcraft. Okay, that's true. I didn't know that. That's crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. No, Skyrim is in, in every conceivable metric a better game than Elder Scrolls Online. But I would say, uh, to, to Justin's point, what he said earlier, I think is totally accurate. And I think a lot of the reason why you don't give a shit about Fantasy Plant is that lore in fantasy tends to be pretty shitty, which is to say unrelatable and sort of like, well, then there was a demon and a dragon. They fought and another dr- demon dragon baby came out. The reason you like Game of Thrones is because it's a little more grounded, although slightly it's more less historical Pause. fantasy. Is that how demon dragon babies are made? They fight, yeah. and then the yeah. demon dragon baby's born? Game of Thrones definitely has uh, a deep lore, as does Skyrim. But the thing, and and I I mean, I would include Oblivion in the in this as well. But, like, the, the, the reason that it works, and the reason that people who don't like to do deep dives on lore can hang in there, is that there are certain characters... That when you bring the story back around to them, then you're able to like sort of get a rhythm like, oh, OK, this guy. Now yeah. I know where I'm at. Um, and Skyrim does that really well. Right. There are a lot of one off weirdo characters. But, but it's then there more are some- for like individual story arcs. It's not like the overarching story of the world as much as it is like, oh, this is the head of the Thieves Guild and it keeps popping up. Right. And and I think one of the big problems with the Elder Scrolls Online is that they're throwing so many characters at you. Uh, with so many crazy names. They're just odd collections of consonants and vowels, and you cannot get a foothold in the lore because it's moving so quickly that you never really develop an affinity for any one area or person. It's just sort of like grinding to the next uh, quest. And Skyrim really doesn't feel that way. Skyrim lets you live in a, a quest line or whatever yeah. for a, a really considerable amount of time. It's it, in that way slower paced, I think, than uh, Elder I'd say Scrolls it's Online. like five hour arcs per quest line. Right. But you really get like when you finished a, a quest line in uh, Elder Scrolls, you are in, you know, uh, uh, Skyrim, you feel like you've completed a story. Yeah. And you never get that foothold in Elder Scrolls Online. There's there's one, maybe two characters that I could pick out of a lineup. Uh, uh, and one of them is just like the super old dude, watcher, observer, whatever. That still like, don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. It could st- still know who that is. And interestingly, they made a change in the uh, early game uh, from the beta where they put you in a different area than they initially did. And oh, they thank have, God. That was the fucking worst starting area of any MMO I've ever played. But the, the odd thing about it is they have Michael Gambon, who, uh, uh, of course, is Dumbledore, uh, doing the voice of this cat, except they didn't... Apparently, they had to change his dialogue just a little bit to indicate this new area that they've got you going <laughs> to, and they did not get Mr. Gambon back in the oh, studio. No. So it is just a different old dude, Welcome which has got to be a great... evergreen. That's exactly <laughs> like, yeah. And it's... Uh, all of a sudden, he sounds different, which has got to be a big confidence booster for Mr. Gabon. Like, <laughs> oh, so just any old dude then. Do you just, just any old, we all sound alike, right? Great. So glad. Where's the check? Thanks. Uh, um, I will say, for the record, that the president of um, ZeniMax Online was one of the founders of Mythic Entertainment and worked was the producer on Dark Age of Camelot. So I'm not 100% crazy. Is that crazy. true? Okay. Wow. Well, okay. I, mechanically, Griffin, can you talk about like combat? Because I that is that one area where I actually do 
enjoy Elder Scrolls Online more than uh, because it's MMO. it's in, it's interesting and it's fucking hard. Like it's super difficult. I, I, we caught a lot of flack for the first overview that we did on the Elder Scrolls Online beta because I was playing it like every other MMO, which is you figure out how to use the skills of your class, which you've assigned to your hotbar in loops that maximize your damage potential and survivability. That is like the MMO way. Um, Elder Scrolls Online requires you to uh, use these uh, timing-based systems of uh, of uh, countering enemies, blocking enemies, uh, parrying them to make them more vulnerable and to block uh, the enormous amounts of damage that they're capable of dishing out. Uh, and if you don't use those systems, then you're gonna fucking die every time, uh, which uh, like is is so far from the idea of of other MMOs. Which you you brought up World of Warcraft, which I also think is a tremendous game, and I've probably spent playing more than any other video game in existence. Um, but it is at times like pretty mindless. Like you learn your loops, you find an enemy if he's by himself and and not surrounded by other enemies, which requires you to drop back and punt a little bit. Uh, you know what buttons you have to press to kill them. And then it's just a matter of pressing them and, and you know, letting your cooldowns refresh and then pressing them again. Elder Scrolls Online gets away from that. It requires you, it has a little bit more action to it. Um, so, so that idea is really interesting. It's just, even after I learned it, again, like I appreciate that it, it varies from, from the norm in a, a, a pretty clever way. I just didn't really like... Just didn't really like playing it part very of, much. Part of the problem with that, part of the issue with that difficulty is you talked about <clears throat> the hot bar, and for, it gives you a lot of freedom in how you develop your character. So if you want to be someone who has magic abilities um, but uh, uses a, I don't know, a two-handed axe, you can absolutely do that. There, each levels in its own way has its own set of skills that you can invest in or not invest in as you see fit. As a result, it is pretty easy, perhaps even statistically more likely that you will make a character whose skills do not necessarily complement each other, that do not have uh, complementary effects that make your character uh, uh, competitive in in uh, battle. Uh, and that's kind of intimidating because you don't really know how, uh, like, you only have five skills you can have up at at one given time, plus, like, one ultimate ability. And you acquire many more skills than that almost immediately. So, like, deciding how to level those up in a way that, like, makes a lot of sense for your character can be pretty difficult. Can you, like, yeah. screw up permanently? There are, are you have the ability to respec, but it is pretty expensive from what I heard. I haven't done it, but yeah. Um, I I I I don't know. I haven't dipped into the. I I spent a lot of time at the beta. I haven't dipped into the final game just yet, so I, I feel like I shouldn't give any like grand qualitative statements about the game. Um, but I just I don't know. For me to get into another MMO. It's just it's gonna require something truly phenomenal. Yeah. Because I, I I do like those games and I still dip into World of Warcraft from time to time. But more than any other game, and I realize that this is a really futile way to look at you know spending time on your hobby, which is you know what games are to me. Um, I it's really hard for me to 
look at an MMO and not just see it as a furnace that I shovel my hours into to get a purple item oh, that's better than the blue item I already Hearthstone. have. Hearthstone. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm a little bit. But at least Hearthstone, you can play for 20 minutes and finish the game and feel like you did something. Right. And Hearthstone, I have spent, I would say, a grand total of maybe 10 hours playing. I have spent days of my life playing yeah. World of Warcraft yeah. just to get that best thing. And like at, at the end of the day, like, are those days that I put into World of Warcraft, like uh, trying to max out my item level, more enjoyable or in more my valuable than the 10 hours? There will be a mention of my Beast Stalker pants that I spent fucking a month trying to get. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah, it's very sad. I, I don't like to look back on those days. <laughs> I don't either. Like, I, I am at times genuinely embarrassed. There's a, a, a command you can enter okay. when you're playing World of Warcraft that will show you how much time you spent playing the character. And I did that for the first character that I got up to, like, level 60 in the, the vanilla release. And, like, it was not a measurement of minutes or hours. It was a measurement of how many days of my life I've spent playing this game. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy that time, but it reaches, there's a breaking point where it's just like, fuck like that's so that's a lot of time and i i really do think that the more time i spend playing mmos the the more likely i am to just sort of abandon the entire enterprise because it is a pretty enormous investment there's a moment i think in every mmo that i've ever played where i sort of it, to put it in the lamest terms possible see the matrix you know you see all mm-hmm. the numbers for what they are and you stop I, I lose the ability to sort of imagine them as magical strength and just see like just all the numbers basically. And I got to that point um, fairly quickly with with ESO, uh, largely because of the the way you unlock skills. You don't get things that are because there there's a balance. They don't have progression in the same sense. So like there's not like a huge uh, mage skill that I was like waiting for, and I knew once I got that everything would change um, because you can unlock those skills at very different rates if you want to, which it sort of breaks the loop a little bit. Yeah. I think I just, I think the MMOs that I'm going to, I think if there's another MMO I'm going to get into, it can't just be this straight up and down MMORPG idea that World of Warcraft and Elder Scrolls online and, and, and even some upcoming MMORPGs sort of represent, it has to be something that is, new and exciting and super fun to just play um and it's not just entirely about that loop of go go grind this dungeon a few times and maybe the item that you need that's better than the item you have now will drop like it's got to be something more than that um because it's just that loop is losing a lot of luster to me at this point point what were you saying oh i i just think that I've always been kind of hard on people who played MMOs, I'm, and I don't play them at all because of what you're talking about. But I don't know. At the same time, I, I remember the taxonomy of gamers. That somebody you went to school with wrote that, right, Frush? Mitch Capata, I think? Uh, yes. Yeah. But, but, but it was like this late breakdown of the different types of people who play games and why they play them. And what I've come to think more recently is, like, I'm just not that type of person. There's nothing wrong with seeing The Matrix and still liking the game. Like, there's there's a pleasure to be had in that sort of experience. When I play a game, what I generally want is something that I either feel like I'm testing skill, which is what I liked during the early period of Hearthstone before I figured out that I also had to kind of turn it into a puzzle almost. Um, or, uh, like, an exploration thing where... 
like what you're talking about, what you would want from a new MMO, Griffin, something like Grand Theft Auto for me or Just Cause where I just have fun being in the world. Like, I just have fun getting around and exploring and doing those things. But I, I don't know. I, I, I now have trouble begrudging people or even, like, the games themselves for what they are just because there are so many different things for different people. I yeah. don't know if that if that makes sense. It does, it does. And, I, yeah, I think that developers of these types of games are getting a little bit smarter. I've played a lot of the uh, beta for Wildstar, which does a really interesting oh, yeah. thing in its, uh, I forget what they call it, path system is what it calls. And and basically, in addition to your class, you pick a path, and that path, path will tailor content in the game to the type of where in that taxonomy you fall. So if you are an exploration-based player, there's an exploration-based path that's all about finding these hidden areas and using platforming to like discover parts of the game that other players on different paths will never see. Um, so stuff like that is really interesting. It's just, I, I think for me, the shine has come off the Apple since I've started doing these overview videos because uh, as a result of having to do these videos, I have to play everything. Like I have to play every game that comes out. And, and because of that, I sort of realized that when you spend you know, dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds of hours playing an MMO, that's time that you could spend, you know, playing and completing and experiencing dozens of other games. Um, and it, it's it's hard for me to justify, like, making this one game the game I play instead of playing, you know, the the 30 interesting indie games that came out that month. That's it, um, Chris Plant. I would still heartily recommend to take a tour through World of Warcraft. Put 30 hours in. I think it's a kind like of essential... Fluency. It's kind like, of an essential gaming experience. Play it as, like. a, as a normal game, and then... I'm, I'm not afraid to also then... delete things. Like, that that is like a personal rule, too. I delete things off of my iPhone after I play them for too long, uh, and I, like, am not afraid or ashamed to just completely get rid of games i own that feel like they're addictions more than experiences i'm enjoying yeah you're stronger I, I think man than i i think it is much easier to play world of warcraft at this point and oh yeah a point where you're like okay i get it that that was neat like it the content is so dense that you don't feel like you're just running through yeah. whatever i mean there, there's a lot of really neat stuff uh and it's super it's so incredibly polished that like it's still fun to to jump in and, and take a run at it. Um, we got one more game here in our in our besties uh, show, and this game is called Broforce. Broforce. I played uh, it for the first time this morning. Uh, and Really putting the research time into it. <laughs> well, uh, Stupid Frustic just added it yesterday, but I will say I'm glad Stupid Frustic did because it's it's a fun game that I enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Frustic, do you want to? I feel like you probably played it more than anybody else. Probably do not, actually. Uh, oh, okay, I, interesting. I, I played it uh, for about an hour, I would say, which might be more <laughs> than anyone else. That's not very much time. Um, and um, it's it's fun. I, I to be honest, I don't. I didn't love the game. I think it does some funny things, and I like it more than Frustic. Just yeah. so what people know what it is. Yeah, please, somebody get yeah, it. There's uh, odds that you don't. It's a 2D pixel art. I mean, action shooter game where you run across the landscape, kind of like Metal Slug, killing and shooting enemies. Uh, but the twist is the environment's destructible, so you can kind of like tear through the actual, uh, I get terraform or whatever the buzzword yeah. is for it. But later on in the game, how you get through the environment is kind of like, I don't know, platforming puzzles. Like you'll bash a propane tank and then hop on it and then ride it across. 
uh, the stage or do that to get to a higher platform. Or you can blow the ground out from underneath an enemy to kill him. Like, it, it, there are also boxes that you can just push, and you can push it off a ledge into a big group of enemies, and it explodes, you know, murdering all of them. Um, yeah, there's a lot of really clever stuff. It and does then there's like the that. character stuff, which Griffin, you, you, I mean, you can probably. I mean, it's too. amazing. It's it's yeah. so it's so 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 good. And like, I didn't understand how good it was watching the trailers because it just looked like these are kind of dumb homages to to these different characters. It's so each one is so like almost respectfully it's adapted. Thoughtful. It's so so thoughtful, like all the way down to like each each character has special abilities. So you unlock Neo from the Matrix. And he can slow down bullets that get shot at him and redirect them. Or he does his, like, dashing punch. He doesn't have a gun, because why would Neo have a gun? I mean, Neo does, I guess, have yeah, a gun. Yeah, he does do, few, guns, he does do gun things. <laughs> but he's mostly a punch man. Yeah. That's, like, his, his main thing is punches. He's a punch man, sure. You do, uh, you do John McClane from Die Hard, and he's not wearing shoes. Um, you do do- John McCain yeah. from politics. One of the things that I... Uh, I love that you switch these characters on the fly randomly and you don't know who you're going to end up as. And as, as hard as it, I didn't even get this when I was watching Griffin play, but like they feel completely different. Yeah. Like you have to completely modify your whole play style. Like one of my f- favorites is uh, blade who f- jumps f- way higher than the other guys. Doesn't have a sword. Uh, doesn't have a gun, just has a sword and you have to completely change how you play as soon as you start but it's like it's it feels really good like they've had to balance so much crap to make it make sense um there's yep. also MacGyver who doesn't have a gun he just throws dynamite <laughs> and that's so hard to play with him uh, in certain situations like if you're in a boss fight you may as well just die because it's really hard to get that dynamite on an enemy but not only that just like when you're traversing the level you are going to blow up the entire level and make it much much harder to yeah. you know it's really, do all the platforming. It's really fun the way it works because you'd think it'd be like tossing grenades, but really what happens is when he tosses it at an enemy, the enemy catches it and then runs <laughs> because yeah, a lot of hey, I'm, I'm holding dynamite and and then they die. And it I don't know, it just feels really good. And his uh, special attack is that he drops a turkey filled with dynamite that lures enemies in because they see a turkey on the ground and I guess they're hungry. Yeah. Uh, and they'll all go for it and then die uh, explosively. So one thing I will say, the reason that I'm a little lukewarm about it, is that it's like a like imagine playing Contra, but the jump is sort of finicky and weird. Like the controls do not feel great. And that was I disagree. I think I feel, think you're crazy. I think what? they feel great. I think it's yeah. super polished. Plant, you agreed with me on the control. No, thing. we had this discussion. We were enjoying the game. Well, I was enjoying the game, and right away you're like, "So what is it? Is it like this every level?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> let's keep playing." And you're like, "I don't like the way you jump." And I was like, it, it, "No, just like give it some time." You're like, "How do I get up on this platform?" And I was like, "Just chill out and let yourself have fun." And then you're like, "This is pretty fun, but I don't like the jump." That's pretty much like the whole conversation. Why do we even need Russ on the podcast right. if question, we can actually. if we can just have Chris Plant do Russ? I'm um, a giraffe. Yeah, there it is. You got it. Perfect. Did a perfect job. Um, no, it is at times. It's not. I, I think in general the the controls are fine. I will agree with Russ. In there's uh, there are certain situations. There's one uh, boss fight where you have to scale a tower while a helicopter is shooting at you, destroying and exploding the level underneath you as you climb it. Um, and it is very hard because you have to 
uh, attach to walls using your knife, which is a little that that part I will say is a little bit finicky. Uh, and when you you know have to do that and keep going up, and if you fall behind for a second, you die, and then that's game over. Um, it's it's really 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 stressful. But I don't think there's a lot of times where that is an issue. My favorite part about playing the game that was playing it with Russ, even though did he, you play co-op? Yeah, we played co-op, and he's like he loves uh, killing his friends in these games. Sure. Which I, at first will drive you crazy, uh, like when he killed me in Spelunky and carried me to the end and cackled for about twenty minutes. But it was fun in this game, like deciding when you wanted to turn against each other and blow the ground out from under the other one. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I don't think I, I found that more engaging than like the actual <laughs> game. <laughs> Killing me? Yeah. Thank or you. remember the time I threw you off the building and cracked down? That was fun. Yeah, that was. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I also love how how silly it is. Which I thought that I was done with like this, like hyper masculine uh, parody homage, but it goes so far yeah. that it actually comes back around to like at the end of every at the end of the levels I played at least. You raise the American flag. You kill. You kill, kill the, the devil. Kill the devil who's in a suit. You kill the devil. Raise the American flag. Jump onto a helicopter, and the entire level explodes below you. Yeah. Every time. There's actually time. a good thing in co-op where the first person to jump on the helicopter, the helicopter takes off. So it's sort of a race, <laughs> and like you'll ditch the other person if you get on it first. That's I like that. Fun. Yeah, that never happened. Nope, never. <laughs> Let's talk about them Rasties. Okay. Um, here's a Rasty that was sent in by Kyle Starr. Thank you, Kyle. My picks of April are Monument Valley and Hearthstone. Both are shining examples of the high-quality experiences that mobile still have to offer. We did rap about Hearthstone a lot. Monument Valley is a very cool game, though. I still haven't played that, but it looks gorgeous. It's and cool. I hear a lot of. I'm not smart I, enough for it, but visually it's I, very cool. I have a lot of friends who like don't play a lot of video games that are talking about that game. Yeah. Apparently it's a crossover hit with a lot of mainstream appeal. Um, the next one is from Did anybody Albert. play Monument Valley that can talk about what it is? Yeah, I, I so it's um, like an M.C. Escher-style platformer puzzle game, sort of similar to Echo Chrome in that way, because it does a lot of, like, perspective-shifting weirdness. Sure. Um, it's a cool game. Again, uh, like, it gets pretty tricky. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's by the guys totally... who made Whale Tail, right? I believe so, yes. Uh, Us 2 is the name of the developer. Um, Albert said um, he played uh, Fract OS OSC, which was pretty great. Great colors, visual design, multi-layer puzzles. Uh, he says the puzzles weren't always great, but he enjoyed how they related to the music. I know uh, Chris Plant played and reviewed Fract. I played a bit for Overview, yeah. too. It yeah, is super... It has its issues. Um you get you get stuck in the terrain more than I would like, and a few of the puzzles aren't as intuitive as you would want them to be. Um, but it is a really just fucking fresh game. Like when you solve a puzzle and make like a sick beat, it it's very very satisfying in a pretty unique way. Yeah, when the game is like hitting, you know, when it's doing what it's trying to do best, it, it's excellent. It's just kind of mired by, like you said, the. Some of the train issues, I, I wasn't able to finish the game because I hit a bug, but I don't think that bug is in the game anymore. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's very pretty, and it sounds killer. Yeah. Um, Braden says, uh, Child of Light. Although he hadn't played it. He when has not played when Child he said of that, Light, although but he is... 
Brayden is assuming that Child of Light is a dope hit. Uh, you already know about this one, a platform RPG created with the UBR framework with unique visual style akin to a storybook or watercolor painting, blah, blah, blah. That was not me being rude. That is what Brayden actually says. He, he did write blah, blah, blah. Um, I liked it a lot. I think it's I think it's a really cool game. I haven't finished it. Um, I've heard the I, writing is broke. The, what? No. Yeah, I've heard the writing is pretty much like not it, it ruins a great game no yeah no you're, i mean it's just 100 percent wrong the writing is done all in rhyme mm. uh and did you realize so- it was rhyming plant oh i did i've heard all about it and it sounds just as broke as most of the people on my twitter stream have does, said it, it, does but- the game start with hickory dickory dock uh-huh um <laughs> it does no it's it's really like the rhyming is super charming and like i mean yeah the dialogue isn't i guess like like off the chains it's not like you're addressing important moral issues um in detail yeah and but like but it's it, voiced it by rhymes the and like right? no other game does that one thing i don't know i just think it's a really unique game the the battle the combat system's really clever it's all about like timing your attacks to interrupt your enemy's attacks while making sure that you don't get interrupted in return using that sort of grandia 2 style um you know dynamic battle system um, it's a it's a really really interesting game and absolutely gorgeous. It makes me optimistic that they're going to be able to do a lot more with the UB art framework. Oh, it's so pretty. It's I want so that pretty. Prince of Persia to like really oh be God. real. That would be super super baller. Um, I want to talk about Flappy Golf. Okay. It's surprisingly no one wrote in to say how much they love Flappy Golf, but I do really love it. Uh, who on the show has played Flappy Golf? I think I we pretty much did. beat it. I think I have like one. Justin, did you stuff. actually play it? I, I did. I, I really did. And did you like it? Yeah, it was good. It's not it's the a, best game it's, ever. It's it's okay. It's neat. I, I just, the reason I, I mention don't it, think it it makes okay. So like flappy golf is super stick man golf, except instead of hitting the ball, yes. you flap it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> the only thing that's weird to me is I don't think the two mechanics necessarily always work together so well. Like. You don't. There are a lot of like hills and terrain that a lot of times it doesn't make sense to take advantage of because it, you really just want to flap your way. Right. Well, they're the exact the same maps. Yeah. As that before. Yeah. Right. Uh, the the reason I like it and the reason I wanted to mention it is because I think it's an interesting example of like cloning versus not cloning, which is to say, you know, you could clone Luftrausers, take the gameplay, take the visual design, take everything about it and just like change the name and that's a clone or you can do something like they did with flappy golf which was take the basic mechanic of flappy bird which was tap the screen to make something flat and then integrate it into something completely different in this case golf um for being a free game it's honestly that and hearthstone are the two ios games i've played most of the last month which is a little bit shocking but it's like very perfect for like subway gaming um, the not, ads, the ads are fucking oppressive. Oh, I paid a dollar to get rid of them, so you can do that. I yeah, it, it could also make it a little more obvious how to pay to get rid of the ads. I don't know how I, I figured it that. out, but I just did. Yeah, there's like in the options menu you can do it, but the, they are horrible. They're really I mean, bad. and I know that that's like a joke. I know they're playing off of the Flappy Bird ad, but it's a it's a tough joke to stomach it's a dollar like i had no pro- i granted that for me is where the joke breaks down like ha, 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 get it give me a dollar yeah i don't know that it was meant to be a dollar it's a, it's a free game i don't know that it was meant to be a joke i think um 
Also, if it's I, not meant to be a joke, they're demons. They're demons making horror <laughs> games. I want to mention Tabletop Simulator, um, just because it's one of the most interesting games ever. It, it is not like when I talked about it among the the Polygon staff. Like everybody was like, "Is this like you can play Pathfinder online with buddies?" Like it's. I don't think it's an especially great system for that, uh, but it is a physics based tabletop ass simulator you can simulate a tabletop with a physics-based simulation so you can play like they have presets for you know checkers and chess and poker and stuff like that um or you can upload your own designs for cards and boards and basically make your own board games and then play them with in, in an online environment where everybody can interact with the table all at the same time um it's so it's just a super interesting uh uh tool that i've seen people use to you know create entire board games online uh, either recreate you know stuff like cards against humanity or whatever or you know create their own stuff and then play test them online like i i don't know i think as 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 like a development tool even for for people who are interested in making their own board games that don't want to you know 3d print a bunch of figures or go print a bunch of cards I, it's it's just a really interesting thing. Or if you're doing um, like a DM, like you're DMing a you, you could know, DM. Yeah, I, I still think something like Roll Twenty or or something not physics based. Like the physics thing is so clumsy yeah. and like intentionally kind of funny at times. Like there's a button yeah, like to flip quapish. the table. Yeah, um, I, I I definitely could work, and I think that it's built to work. It just doesn't seem like the best way to do that. But like. To go online and see some of the crazy shit that people are doing with it is is really 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 rewarding. Um, so yeah, tabletop simulator. I wanted to mention one quick uh, iOS game that I uh, liked a lot. We already went over Flappy Golf, by the way. No, uh, no, uh, it was one that my uh, my sister in law, who's thirteen, recommended to me. Uh, and she's uh, these kids are playing. This is how this is my mobile discovery engine now. This is how I found out about cool mobile games. I just ask her what the kids are playing. Uh, 13-year-old tweens are the new Russ Fresh stick. Basically, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, the game was called A Dark Room. Um, yeah. There's actually a online uh, web-based version of this, um, but it's actually a very different game that has different endings uh, on iOS. It starts out very simply. Uh, it's all sort of text-based. Uh, best comparison I could make is it sort of reminds me of Candy Box a little bit. It starts out very basic. You're You're in a a uh, dark, uh, dark room, a titular dark room, uh, and from there you start to build a community and a village, uh, and from there you strike out to sort of explore the world around you. And as you're playing, there is a under the surface narrative that's being occasionally delivered to you uh, as you play and continue through the game. Um, mechanically, it's it's uh, simple. Uh, y- y- there aren't a lot of like stats to think about, and, and in fact, you don't understand how deep it is until you actually start to explore uh, the world around you and, and run into things that uh, can sort of help or hurt your village. Um, but it's it's a really interesting progression, uh, and and it was one that once it got it hooked into me, I had to keep playing uh, until I finished it. And it does have an end, and there are actually a couple different endings you can you can get. But uh, it's a super super cool game. You can try it online first if you want to or just grab the ios version i think it's like two bucks or three bucks but uh a dark room it's neat i'm gonna throw one more on there and that's oh hitman go uh, oh yeah that looks which, really neat i still haven't played it 
Wow, what a special game. <laughs> what like a nice thing to see from uh, a otherwise kind of serious developer. And it's a version of Hitman for your iPad, and I guess it's iPhone also, but it is a board game, and it's a really nice-looking, very clean... Great sounding, too. Like, board it game. sounds yeah. very tactile. Like, it sounds like you're playing uh, an actual game. They put a lot of work into that. Yeah, and in the design, they said that it was inspired by that... I wish I could think of the name of the thing, where it's, like, rich people with no problems or something. It's a Tumblr about just, like, spoiled rich kids. But these, like, photos of, you know, rich young people... Rich kids of Instagram? Yeah, yeah, in these giant open lawns, uh, just lots of empty space that just is super, super wealthy uh, looking, just very gross, people that you kind of probably wouldn't mind killing with your Hitman character. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, kind but, of a sinister thing to say out loud. <laughs> no, on, I didn't uh, recording I mean it like that. Recent. I'm just saying, like, if these are, like, not real humans, but, you know, caricatures of uh, privileged wealth in the modern age of capitalism, maybe you'd want to kill them with a Hitman character. It's what you're doing in Hitman already. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it looks great. It reminds me in a weird way of something else uh, Square Enix did, which was the Tomb Raider uh, isometric game. Do you remember that? The uh, Lara Croft. Light. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, but it was a, like... It was a very interesting, weird take on one of their franchises that, for me, was like... I mean, that's my favorite Tomb Raider game. I, I love that game, and I think it's so much more interesting than the rest of the series. Um, and that that's kind of how I feel about this thing. It's like... It's something that just feels different than everything else I'm playing, uh, and somehow is able to tie in a popular brand to that without making it feel, um, I don't know, kind of lame, uh, as most tie-ins feel. Yeah, I'll dip into that. Also, FTL Advanced Edition, play it. Yeah. So that's going to finally do it for us. We've reached the, lo- the end of this epic episode. Uh, thank you so much to you at home for listening. Uh, if you get a chance to review our show on iTunes and, and spread that link around and get your friends to listen, that would be great. Well, we got up next month, I guess. It's uh, a big sport- month, actually. Sports uh, Friends, Mario Kart 8. Tex uh, Murphy. Tex uh, Murphy, the Tesla Super Giant game. Trans- uh, what is that called? Transistor. Oh. Super Super Time Force. I think is Watch Dogs out this month. Watch Dogs. Jesus. Oh my criminy. god. Please don't make me play Mario Golf. <laughs> no, not Mario. I want to play that Mario, Mario Kart. Kart. Mario Kart. Mario Kart Eight. Um, I'll play. I'll play Mario Mart, but I'm not going to play anymore. <laughs> I still haven't tested Mario. I, I have it for overview. I haven't tested its capacity for Cario Marting. Griffin, can we do an evening recording of a review where we play Cario Mart? Yeah, sure. It would get pretty rowdy and we would be pretty sick the next day. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't see why not. Cario Mart is a game where you open a beer at the beginning of a race and you have to finish the beer before you can complete the race. Awesome. And you can't and you can't be drinking the beer while you're driving the car. What? It's only so you have to either, you know, slam it right there at the beginning or if you get hit by a shell you can chug while you're... Oh, so you can while, coast while you're drinking. Uh, well, no, that's kind of bad form. It's usually whenever you come to a complete stop. You can't, like, gun it and get full acceleration, then, like, go to the button, take a sip, and then... I see. That's, that's bad form. You gotta take breaks. It's a, it's a fascinating strategic exercise. For, <laughs> it's for kids. That makes you drunk. That makes uh, you super, super, super drunk. Uh, uh, it's the only drinking game I like. Uh, but it, we'll talk about that in so much more next month. On the besties until then, uh, keep going to polygon.com. We got a ton of crap there for you to enjoy. 
Uh, we're on Facebook too, facebook.com forward slash Polygon and uh, YouTube slash Polygon, everything slash Polygon. Uh, and there's a lot waiting for you. So go drink it all in and then come back and join us next month for the besties. Because shouldn't the world's best friends pick the world's best games? Bessie!